1: Welcome, Auburn, to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoie, the host of this fine program. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me. A big thanks to Brooks for manning this host seat yesterday and hosting a fun three hours of sports call and of course there was a lot of fun because there was a lot of good news for Auburn Athletics this past weekend we will continue to dive into all that today continue to recap what went right which there was a lot that went right for Auburn football in Fayetteville Arkansas we will say a word or two more on Auburn basketball as they're going to have a very important trip to New York here in a couple of days so we'll Talk about how that team is looking. Also, again, give you the particulars. I know it was mentioned once or twice yesterday through various callers and that sort of thing, but we want to uh, kind of go in a little bit more detail on the recruiting stuff that Auburn did over the weekend. They got a 2024 uh, big time flip from Florida. They got a 2025 four star tight end. So we'll kind of show you or tell you where those rankings are for Auburn football as they continue to make headwind in the recruiting rankings as well as turning the product around on the football field these last few weeks. At 3 30 today, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. Again, he'll talk about all the aforementioned stuff. Again, football and basketball and yes a little bit later on today too definitely want to have some more thoughts on the coaching landscape hot seat and already fired coaches Uh, that's always a fun topic no matter the time of year and I heard the guys give some suggestions for head coaching jobs and I'd love to talk about that a little bit more Today And, of course, if you want to get your word in, we would love to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line about any and all of it, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 8889 1-888-9-TIGER-9 is how you can uh, join the conversation today. Again, Ryan, Brooks, and Tom with you here on this Tuesday. And, Brooks, I'll start with you, sir. Again, I appreciate you for hosting the show yesterday. I hope that your trip... To Robert Stell slash Gulf Shores went well, and it's good to see you again, my friend.
2: Absolutely. It's good to have you back, as I say every single time that you do return after I've filled in. Uh, I enjoy sitting on that side of the table, but I'm glad to be back on this side uh, today to talk all things uh, Auburn sports and the world of sports. Yeah, trip was great, as I mentioned yesterday. I um, uh, had, a, had a good weekend, ate some good food at home, and yeah, it was it was good. Last night, uh, caught the uh, the second half really of that uh, Broncos Bills game, um, and just however you tried to lose that football game. Uh, Buffalo tried and succeeded in doing it, and so it was. Uh, it was a calamity of errors, which resulted in an offensive coordinator being fired, and then somebody that the SEC uh, that the SEC folks are very familiar with, Mr. Joe Brady, the new OC, the interim OC there for the uh, the Bills, uh, going through the rest of the year. So we'll see how if he can maybe turn things around for Josh Allen. Josh Allen, I think he's got the most interceptions in the NFL after last night. And either the most or like top five most turnovers in general. I know and
1: that makes you sad. Yeah,
2: it does. It's just I, I cried last <laughs> night. You know, it, it maybe maybe laughing, crying. Um, but it was it was uh, it was a calamity of errors last night. And I'll tell you what, the Broncos are, are putting themselves back in that playoff picture for the AFC. they they're starting to reel off a few wins here. Russell Wilson uh, made some really good plays last night. Uh, and so you're you're starting to get a, you're starting to get the, the, the Broncos starting to try to insert themselves back into the ASC playoff picture here. Uh, so that was really fun, and of course you know can't wait to uh, to continue to talk about this Auburn win over the weekend at, at Fayetteville, as well as uh, starting to look ahead to this weekend against New Mexico State. And Auburn basketball making that trip to uh, to Brooklyn. I know we got some big basketball games tonight uh, with that Champions Classic. Uh, coming up, and it's uh, I've
1: always loved Michigan State.
2: It's uh, always been a Spartan. <laughs> uh, anybody Anybody that knows me knows I own a Spartan's hat. <laughs> right. um, well, and, true. and and so it's a uh, it's a it's a fun day for sports talk here on on Sports Call, and I can't wait to dive into it.
1: Absolutely. And and quick twenty second aside on Joe Brady, uh, how meteoric his rise was circa twenty nineteen at LSU, coordinating uh, or helping coordinate. Uh, that offense with Burrow and all those guys. He gets to the Panthers, does not do a good job. OC there, this is a wonderful opportunity. I know he's still incredibly young, Mm. but a wonderful opportunity for him because he's got seven games to work with one of the top quarterbacks in the league. It's already kind of gone awry this year, so... If he can turn it around the next seven games and the Bills somehow make the playoffs and they stop turning the ball over and all that, he's going to start to get some credit. And, again, it's a very doable situation working with Josh Allen. So that's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the year. Tom Peavy on the show today. Tom, I I was listening to the show on my ride back today from Florida, and uh, I was glad to hear that it sounded like the chili dinner. Went pretty well, and uh, I know you had a uh, a busy weekend. But good to see you again, sir.
3: Yeah, chili chili dinner went great. But uh, glad you're back in here with us, and uh, good show yesterday. And yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about today. And it's mainly around football, as it should be right now. And uh, a little bit of basketball to touch on, but also some baseball to touch on if we ever really get to it. I mean, there's some things happening
1: free agency. Some free
3: agency happening in the world of baseball and potentially a big thing with the Atlanta Braves. We'll see if, yeah, if wink a, wink hint, we'll, yeah. we'll see if a certain switch hitting slash pitching player ends up as a brave. But um yeah, it's a lot going on and uh
1: yeah, ready to talk about it some more. Well Tom, I thought that it would be appropriate today to open with one of the three most watched sports uh, in the world and that'd be cricket if that was okay okay with yeah, you,
3: you know well i mean it, like i said yesterday it is the number three most uh-huh. watched sporting event in the world so let's talk some <laughs> yeah. cricket like i said uh, i was like the only crickets i care about are what i use for bait
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and, I, and i like that uh the jokes aside though uh, those numbers are staggering. It helps us get out a little bit of our sphere of oh, yeah, yeah. it's the shield. Yeah, well, everybody you know, loves so, the Super Bowl. Yeah, everyone in America loves. Yeah, it's like in the world of sports, not even close. <laughs> right, right. So that's always fascinating to hear about that kind of stuff. All right, so let's start the show though with Auburn, of course, and with Auburn football taking down Arkansas decisively, forty-eight to ten. Got game, guys. That I, I know talked a a good bit about yesterday but i think there's still a lot more to go over in it because of how decisive it was this game coming into it was a situation where i thought that either way and i did have auburn winning i know there was some disagreement either way though i thought would be a single digit game either side of the equation well, after Auburn returned a punt for a touchdown in the first quarter, it was never a single digit game again. Yeah, uh, and so Auburn just manhandles them. Uh, just I, I know this is a Tuesday, but just for everyone's sake, again, what because I, I certainly have thoughts. What impressed you most about it from from Auburn's point of view?
3: Uh, I, you know, honestly, I'll tell you this: what what impressed me? Gosh, there's a lot to be impressed about, but I think what impressed me the most was the fact that yeah they had the big lead but they came out uh in the second half and just kept it going um now obviously they wrote it out through the fourth quarter but the third quarter to be able to come out of halftime and and just never really let down just keep the foot on the pedal and never never even let arkansas sniff a chance of getting back into that game i i think that impressed me overall the most now if you want to like nitpick X and O's type and individuals, what impressed me the most was uh, really Peyton Thorne and how that uh, the the RPO run game has really started becoming a thing that we've we begged and begged and begged. I say we us three or whoever in the studio, my, all Auburn fans, just screaming and yelling for like some true RPO instead of just design runs, design quarterback keepers. Of course, now we were all saying that with Robbie Ashford. But now that we've seen that Peyton Thorne can actually be a weapon in that RPO-type game, you know, just that read option where you're actually reading the end and making a decision off of that. Peyton Thorne did an amazing job with that. Uh, That's where he got some of his big scores from where just the true read option where they were crashing down and he'd take it right around the end. And if they didn't crash, then Jarquez would take it right past uh, the guy that didn't crash down. Just those things that it's so difficult to defend because you, they're going to hurt you one way or the other, and uh, to see Auburn actually doing that and doing it very well against Arkansas, that that as far as just kind of the individual thing, it, it impressed me most of all.
2: I think the thing that impressed me the most of all, and I, I don't know if I can if, if it's on this uh, stat sheet that I uh, that I print off every single Monday for us, uh, but it was the the total pressures. That Auburn's defense was able to get on KJ Jefferson. You know, he's a guy we we Hugh Freeze he was asked about it last week, and you know, really, anytime you're going to play Arkansas these last couple years with KJ Jefferson there, the coach always asked like, how are you going to contain him? Because he's such a big quarterback, and even you know, he he may not be the fleetest of foot, but he's a guy that's hard to bring down. You need two or three guys to bring him down, um, and so he, he can escape the pocket. He can get outside. Uh, I think the the fact that Auburn was able to come in. And just absolutely uh, handcuff him. Really, uh, was able to to get pressure on him. That that offensive line did not look like what you would think a Sam Pittman offensive line looks like. Um, and I think you know, Tom, you brought it up yesterday, but the uh, the amount of uh, the the exotic blitzings that yes. that uh, Ron Roberts drew up for that yeah. game was just really, really impressive. And so when, especially when you're going, uh, you know, maybe not this week, but in a couple of weeks you're going to play an Alabama team, who that's been one of the biggest question marks all year long for them is that offensive line and uh, being able to block and, and can, uh, protect Jalen Milrow a little bit. Milroe has been able to get out of the pocket a little bit more, but if you're able to can replicate that kind of performance against an Alabama team here in a couple of weeks, that can keep you in a football game, especially against a team that's going to be playing for an SEC championship. <laughs>
1: Not entirely random, but just a a thought that is only semi-related for a moment. I just want to know what the heck happened to Florida's defense (laughs) when they played Arkansas because to me – Auburn made it look like this was the same Arkansas team that we've seen all year long. We, I was sitting on this show last week, just saying, you know, this this could be different. This could be the This could be more like the seven or eight win team that was projected in the preseason. And oh, uh, you know, KJ Jefferson's been a dude for a while, and you know, you, it's just going to be kind of difficult. And if you take out the Jacoby Criswell sixty yard run again, we're talking backup quarterback, so it's not even that far fetched to take it out. They're under 200 yards of offense, and that's not his pass production or anything. I mean, they were under 200 yards of offense when KJ Jefferson was in the game, well under 200 yards. And so it was the lines of scrimmage, it was the defensive line. Uh, it was really important in my mind that it was in particular Jalen McLeod, who obviously has gotten a lot of honors this week, because. When we've talked about Auburn being able to get pressure, usually it has had to have been a blitz, and it has come from non-traditional pass rush positions. D-tackles, linebackers, even safety Don McCoffman early in the year. And so to see a defensive end, and mainly the defensive end that was being hyped up in the preseason, to be a guy that led the team there with three sacks, that was no small thing. That gives me hope. That in the coming weeks, well, particular in two weeks from now, that Jalen McLeod will be able to influence the Iron Bowl a little bit because that's ultimately something I have worried a lot about is their pass rush. And I feel like for the first time, there's actually a good sign of improvement there. And now, maybe some of that is chalked up to Jalen McLeod not being 100% uh, earlier this year. What was it? High ankle sprain? That's uh, what throughout I the year? said yesterday. And so maybe that was a good bit of it. But I think it's not a small thing that he is the one uh, of all these players to start to get a lot of this pass rush and be able to uh, anchor the defensive line in, in terms of that. I also thought offensively for Auburn, and, and Tom, you mentioned this a little bit too. So it's it's not just that they – ran the ball because they've had some big runs. It's that everyone ran the ball well. It right. did not matter who they put in. It really didn't matter situationally. And Peyton Thorne, with a 12-carry, 88-yard performance, I, I I have to admit when I was wrong. And early this year I said Peyton Thorne would not be able to have those kind of outputs in the SEC. Now, okay, granted, Arkansas not good. I know that this three-game stretch is full of teams that are – are likely not going to bowl game. I get it. It's still power five competition, and I didn't think that Peyton Thorne would do it against power five competition. So I got to give him a lot of credit for making his legs a weapon enough to, as you guys said yesterday you know what, some of that effect of Robbie Asher being in the game is also the threat of Robbie Asher and having to account for it. Right. Well, now you keep running for 50, 60, 70, 80 yards in these power five games. Now, all of a sudden, you have to account for Peyton Thorne, and the same dynamic exists where, oh, the whole point of putting the Ashford package is, well, I mean, we think we can run better in both ways with the quarterback and with the running back. And now that has been very much mitigated, if not evened out, by Thorne being such a willing and productive runner, to the point that again, he was second in the team in rushing there. He is not his first time to have a productive rushing game in the power five. And again, I think it was just encouraging down the line that no matter who you put in there, I get that, you know, maybe Jeremiah Cobb didn't have great successes there toward the end. But everyone there, five, six, seven yards a carry, even Robbie Ashford's couple plays late, couple big chunk plays. So uh that seems to bode well that they really are getting the offensive line play and taking advantage of, I get it. You know, these teams are not going to be what they'll face with Alabama in two weeks. And I I don't want to completely gloss over New Mexico state, but also in the same token, it's back to a non power five team and they're a good non power five team, but they're also still not putting the fear of God into anyone in, in the upper power five or middle power five. So, I, I, I speak in reference to the, the remaining Power 5 game in most of this. But, again, I think it's good to be able to say, all right, just because this running back's in the game, you don't know what we're doing. This guy might have a little bit more of a, uh expertise in running on the edge or pass blocking or pass catching or running up the middle, whatever. But if Hunter is going to average 7 to carry and Austin's 5.5 and, and Batiste 6, I mean, it seems like all those options are viable and all those options you can't really rule out what you're doing uh, when all those guys are in the, in the game. So it was a comprehensive rushing attack for Auburn against Arkansas, and I thought that was very important on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so this team gets to 6-4. and four. We won't do the bowl stuff yet. I did look it up in some spare time this weekend. And I can kind of assure you that it's not going to be the Birmingham Bowl, and it's not going to be uh, the Tampa Bowl. It's not going to be what's the second one? I forget all the time. Uh, uh, Gasparilla Bowl. Gasparilla, Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, and the top one's now the ReliaQuest Bowl. I'll, I'll 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 learn it just in time for the names to change again. Anyway, yep. uh, I don't think it'll be those two because of the way it pods out. So there's a huge bunch of you know Texas Bowl, Music City Bowl. Um, all kinds of things that it could end up being. But, you know, this is this has now started to check the box of the season because a lot of projections were around seven wins, maybe eight, on the optimistic side of things. And guess what? That's exactly oh, where we yeah. stand. They're going to get seven, and on the optimistic side of things, they'll get eight.
3: Which is kind of – yeah, I mean, that was the, the thing that everybody said. But, I, I mean, if they do get to the eight win – then there's a good possibility of – well, I mean, obviously that's regular season, but then there's a good chance that you get the nine yeah. with the bowl. Um, and the odd thing is is that's one thing that we were talking about, Peyton Thorne, and, of course, it looked really bad at the beginning, but we were like, you know, Peyton Thorne is that guy that could be that difference between six wins and seven and eight. Like, he's the guy that can potentially get you to eight wins. And then, of course, <laughs> early in the season we're like – Woo, well, I don't know about that. Let me ask you about. Payton. But now, but now we could legit be the guy that can get you to eight wins. Well, let
1: me ask you about. him. We got about five or six minutes. We got to take our break and get to Justin first. And what what in your mind now is the quarterback situation for next year? Because Thorne has another year, right. and I and if I'd asked you this four weeks ago, it'd be like, yeah, it needs to be Walker White, and needs to be quickly, or, right. or it needs to be another portal guy. I mean, where are you? Kind, of, I know I'm not trying to ship us in the 2024. We right. got two games here in 2023, but I'm just saying, where are you at in the thought process for next year? Uh, I'm I
3: I'm still trying to find somebody better than him for next year. I I I don't I, I appreciate Fair. I appreciate what he's done and I think he's improved. Um, I still think there are some major issues with his passing game uh, that I am not comfortable with. I think he has he has, you know, shown that he can be a, a very good runner of the football. And he's shown that he could definitely make some passes, but I think there's just still some grave inconsistencies in the passing game with him back there. That if you're able to find somebody that can give you that just true passing threat that he doesn't, then I think you might have to look at that. Oh, same would, question to you. I
2: would not be shocked if Robbie Ashford jumps back into the portal. Oh, I I think that's gonna happen. Would not be shocked. Um, I also would not be surprised if he stayed and tried to you know fight it, uh, battle it out again this year. I really think that unless they there's somebody in the portal that is a you know not not necessarily a home run but like a guy that you're really confident in, I think it's going to come down to Peyton Thorne or Holden Gurner for the starting job next year. Uh, I I think the the way that Hugh Freeze has talked about Gurner all throughout this year and, and brought him up. And, uh, you know, there was, there was talk last week that he's he, he may be about to uh, pass or has passed uh, Robbie Ashford the, for that backup spot. We didn't see it Saturday. Saturday we saw Robbie Ashford come in first, and then it was Holden Gurner. And then uh, Hugh Freeze even said it on, in his press conference yesterday, I wish i gotten been able to let Holden throw it a little bit on, on Saturday. And so I, I think next year it's really going to come down to Peyton Thorne or Holden Gurner. Uh, maybe Walter White comes in. And uh, Walker White. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always do it. I always do Walter White. Uh, he, maybe
1: Walter comes in and cooks something up. Wink, wink. He, yeah.
2: He is the one who throws the touchdowns. <laughs> um, maybe Walker White comes in and shocks folks and, and is, is, is a freshman uh, starter, but. Honestly, if, if you know, I, I think I think Hugh Freeze likes to work with his quarterbacks a little bit more and that's why you haven't seen Gerner get as much opportunities here in some of the games that he's there's there's a chance for him to get in. Um, but I, I think next year really, you know, it, it, like you said, we don't want to push it to the 2024 season right. just yet, but I, I think it really would come down to a, a battle between Peyton Thorne and and uh, Holden Gurner.
1: Well, and, and the good news is, look, I mean, New Mexico State game is now serving not a whole lot of purpose. It is one of 12. You should still cherish it. Uh, the season's almost over. That's sad. I don't want to go into just figurative speaking for eight months again, but that's where we're not far away from doing that and into just theoretical and stuff like that. I should have said theoretical, not figurative. But, uh, alas, I'm not ready to go into that, even though I just asked the question. But the good news for the New Mexico State game is, yes, you don't need it for bowl eligibility anymore. No, you don't really expect to be challenged. Yes, you need to avoid injuries. Yes, you just want to fine-tune a thing or two, get ready for the Iron Bowl. But what is probably the most substantive thing about New Mexico State, we'll get into it more Thursday, Friday, is this is your opportunity to see Holden Gurner throw in theory because you should be getting a lead at halftime that starts to make you feel comfortable. And – at the very worst, end of the third quarter. And then you can make different decisions with your fourth quarter or with your third quarter, and you can play other receivers, and you can play other defensive linemen that you want to see more looks at because you know you got some vets there, or there are certainly veterans in the defensive backfield. So that is more so the, I guess, the benefits of a game like that. And obviously it is a get healthy game, although Auburn's got, again, they – after a poor start to the year in the injury department, they they racked up several early. They have been relatively healthy here the the, the last few weeks. They have a couple knickknacks every now and then, but for the most part, they have been healthy, and that's usually what a game like New Mexico State would bring. But, again, Auburn decisive in Fayetteville. Uh, and, again, just to take you behind uh, inside baseball, so I was at a wedding in Savannah on Saturday, and – I, I was checking the score, what I thought was quick enough. <laughs> um, but it was 0-0, you know, a couple minutes in the game. And then it turned, it was 14 nothing, And then I turned, it was 21-3. to I was just like, wow, okay, we're, we're doing this. Uh, so something about Auburn playing Arkansas in Fayetteville or, or something. I don't know. But uh, it was also a destructive day for Sam Pittman's chances. Uh, but good ratings day for Polar Express if you're putting <laughs> that on the TV. I, you know, and
3: I I, I saw now there's a message. Was one of the Auburn message boards, they were referencing one of the main writers from Arkansas saying that they were reporting that Sam Pittman's job was safe this year.
1: Well, I don't see
3: how, but okay.
1: Well, yeah, we can talk about that later in the uh, in the carousel debates that we'll have in coaching hot boards. Um, I, I w- figured he wouldn't have survived after that game. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. There's still two more games left. There's two more opportunities for success or failure. Anyway, we're going to successfully take a first time out on the show. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. He'll talk about that Auburn-Arkansas game, opportunities for Auburn against New Mexico State, and a little bit about Auburn basketball as they get set to take on Notre Dame and Brooklyn on Thursday. They have two games on Thursday. One on Thursday, one on Friday. So two games up in New York. We'll talk about just uh, talk about that with Justin Ferguson next.
0: Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with me here on this Tuesday afternoon. and We are now excited to go to our orthopedic clinic phone line where we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Ferg, I know you have been very busy traveling all across the United States. It's good to be talking to you on this Tuesday. How are you?
4: Yeah, I'm doing well. The traveling's not stopping. Tomorrow morning I'm getting on a flight to go to new york for the brooklyn games coming up so a lot of travel but a lot of fun this has been a it's been a really entertaining last couple weeks and between auburn football and armor basketball heating up um should be it should be a fun fun week here coming up before the iron Bowl.
1: A, a job that sends you to both south dakota and new york in the same month is certainly a a very interesting and intense one but uh justin let's talk some auburn football first before we get into basketball obviously a huge uh, domination for the Tigers on Saturday in Fayetteville what stood out to as the most impressive thing about Auburn's performance
4: I mean they they just killed Arkansas at the line of scrimmage and you know I, I feel like Auburn's offensive line and defensive line this season have gotten better as the season has gone on which is important they took their lumps uh, you look at the A&M game the Georgia game some of these other ones they didn't really do an awesome job of you know, really establishing themselves had some mistakes, um, but they've really come on these, this last month of the season. And yes, Auburn has beaten Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas, three of the worst teams in the SEC. One of them's already fired their coach. The other one, the other two probably should. Um, we'll see if they will. Um, so, I mean, again, that, it all comes with that the, that asterisk next to it. But you only play with who you got in front of your in front of you on the schedule. You don't get to set who you play when in the SEC. They did a really, really good job. And, I mean, they whipped Arkansas at the line of scrimmage in this game, and offensive line-wise, really good game. When you when Auburn can go into a the game, they ran the ball 71% of the time against Arkansas, did whatever they wanted. Um, everybody who touched the ball for Auburn on the ground had a good day, explosive day, efficient day, um, and that comes back to the offensive line. And Look, Travis Williams has had a pretty good Arkansas defense this year. They've been solid against the run. They got absolutely eviscerated by Auburn, and this is the worst an Arkansas run defense has looked like in years. This is one of the best in Auburn rushing attack is what, in years in this game. That was really, really huge. On top of that, pass rush continues um, to play really, really well. Jalen McLeod, best player in the country this week on defense. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performance there in terms of efficiency um, and getting the quarterback. All of Auburn's um, defensive line did a really, really good job in this game. You get a linebacker group and a secondary group that have played good ball for most of the year, you got a dominant defense. So they really, really punched Arkansas in the mouth at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball from the very beginning of this game, took Arkansas out of it completely. The crowd was done by you know, and the team itself was probably done midway through the first quarter. That's what you had to do. You know Arkansas had something to play for in this game. If coming off that win against Florida, they could have, you know kept winning potentially made a bowl game this year. Auburn took all the hope out of them really, really early, and it started by dominating them at the line of scrimmage.
2: Justin, a, a position group that we t- we've talked about all season long we really talked about in the preseason about having to get better and improve was that wide receiver room. Can you talk about what you've seen from that room as we've gone through the season?
4: Yeah, it's, it's still a mixed bag from, from your uh, wide receivers. I think it's telling that you're having to play – Rivaldo Fairweather a little bit more on the outside. Um, I think, you know, Rivaldo's been more of a wide receiver than he has been a tight end this season, which is something I'm writing about for tomorrow at the Observer. And You look at Jay Fair, Javarius Johnson, Caleb Burton, these are all small guys, but they're making plays on the outside for you. It's good. So you'd like to get more. You know, Cameron Brown obviously had a tough game against Arkansas. You'd like to get more from some of these transfers you got. You know, for Auburn, they've been able to make do with this wide receiver group. I think the, the smaller guys, the shiftier guys, have played well this season. The bigger the guys, not so much, haven't made the impact that you kind of wanted from a full season perspective. But they still made some plays, um, and, and I think that's a good sign because for Auburn, um, you know that you can get better in wide receiver room right away. Um, you get Perry Thompson coming in here um, here in, in the next couple of months. You have a chance to flip Cam Coleman from Texas A&M, especially with Jimbo getting fired. There's also the talk of Brian Williams, the Alabama commitment, potentially reclassifying and flipping to Auburn, um, you know, down the stretch here because, you know, Auburn legacy, Auburn's showing uh, some signs of life the wide receiver. You can go into the transfer portal this off season and be able to point to, hey, we're not a finished product, but we need to get better wide receiver, and you could be the key to helping us out there. Um, so I think guys like Jay Fair and Caleb Burton um, and, and others can be people you lean on in the future and then add those new pieces that wide receiver room should take a step up um next season and uh you know that could be that could be a really really big thing so long story short outside receivers not giving you a whole lot this year that's okay it's kind of been hot and cold I do think the slot receivers and the ability to move them around here down the stretch and the tight ends has been very very helpful because it's gone a long way in getting that um passing attack going
2: Justin, you, you mentioned the defense a little bit earlier. I don't have the full stat in front of you, but I do have, you know, they've sacked, uh, they sacked, Auburn's defense had five sacks for 28 yards on Saturday. I don't know the, the exact number, or I don't have the stat in front of me, the exact uh, QB pressures, but they were in the backfield all day long, it felt like, on that, uh, that Arkansas team. Is, is that a performance that you think can be replicated here down the stretch in these last two games for Auburn?
4: I definitely think so. I think Alabama's, you know, as, as much better as their offense has looked over the last few weeks of the season, they're still one of the worst teams in the SEC at protecting their quarterback. Jalen Miller is having to do a lot in terms of scrambling. Um, he's having to create a lot. He's getting a lot of pressure on now. Miller is a player who can make you pay against pressure, um, you know, so Auburn will have to be really, really good with it. But, I mean, K.J. Jefferson is a guy that can really hurt you. Um, he's not the K.J. Jefferson of old, but he still is a guy – Second run and they play. He's just hard as heck to tackle um, because of how thick he is. Um, and yet Auburn did an excellent job against him. And so, um, you know, I said it uh, last week um, heading into heading into Arkansas. Week. Auburn really crushed the pocket and did well against Vanderbilt, rushing the passes They did it, did a good job against Ole Miss a few weeks ago. They go into Arkansas and do the exact same thing. Arkansas and Alabama the two worst teams in the SEC in protecting their quarterback this season. Those are the last two SEC games Auburn has. So with jordan Harry behind them in a you know a big iron bowl where you feel like you could be competitive and maybe shock the world uh one more time i really like auburn's defensive line in that matchup because as good as all alabama has um figured some things out this season obviously they're going to the SEC title game for a reason um they're 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 an excellent team they still have some deficiencies on offense especially at the line of scrimmage. I think Auburn's office, Auburn's defense front is playing its best ball, at the perfect top.
1: And, Justin, with that whooping of Arkansas <laughs> and the, the couple of high-valued recruits that Auburn landed over the weekend, does that feel like one of the more impactful and significant Auburn football weekends in quite some time?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, this was the best win Auburn has had, shoot, 2020. 2019 you might even go all the way back to 2016 since the last time Auburn had a win quite like that um and then yeah you go get you go flip a a, a and a guy in Javante Waller who is you know top 50 player in the country depending on who you look at a high high four-star target at a position where you need to continue to stack bodies moving forward uh, at that edge rusher yeah that's awesome you go get Ryan Ryan uh Ryan Gay who's a uh, uh, tight end for the future. Um, and, and, you know, you need to continue to replace that tight end room because they've been so big to what you're doing on offense here this season. Yeah, this is this is a really significant week uh, for Auburn. I think this will be a significant week coming up. Uh, and, and you know, I don't want to put too much stock. I don't want to put too, too much stock into a coaching change on one recruitment just because, you know, it's not always the be all end all in recruiting, um, especially in the NIL era. But, Also this weekend, Jimbo Fisher getting fired. That gives Auburn a better chance to flip Cam Coleman from Phoenix City, and that is a five-star wide receiver. Auburn's going to have a shot. I'm not going to say they're going to do it, but they have a better chance now that there is something changing at A&M than there was. So, yeah, in in all, I think, on the field and off the field, this was a phenomenal weekend for Auburn football.
3: Switching over to the basketball side of things, uh, obviously very early in the season, but Auburn picks up a big win uh, over uh, Southeastern Louisiana. Yeah, okay. It's one and one, but I mean, what this early in the season? What have you kind of been able to learn from this team that you could look for going forward?
4: Well, I mean, I, you know, I said it all off season, and I think it's only shown up here these first couple games. This is a much better Auburn offense. Um, this is a team that is putting up numbers. They're shooting the ball a lot better. Um, you know, they have been able to really get get points in bunches in a variety of ways. Here's a stat, here's a stat that I tweeted the other night. This is the first. You know, Last season, Auburn did not score 80 points in back-to-back games all year. They've now done it in the first two games of this season, one of those games being against a really, really good Baylor team. That's significant, and you would have loved to have won the game against Baylor, loved to have finished it off, but I think this offense is really starting to turn a corner. This five-out stuff, some of this NBA, Euro-style action that they're running on offense is really, really working. And the shooters have made a difference. Denver Jones, Aiden Holloway, uh, obviously guys like Chad Baker, Mazar, and Chaney Johnson. They've all been upgrades. Uh, and, and on top of that, you see guys like Katie Johnson, Jalen Williams, these guys that came back for Auburn. Chris Moore, Trey Donaldson. Auburn brought back most of their decent shooters from last season. They added more good shooters. And now they're playing an offense that I think is really just kind of unlike the potential of everybody. This is going to be, have the chance to be one of Auburn's best offenses under Bruce Pearl. I mean, they, they've looked in the part you know, these first couple of games. Defensively, they got to tighten up. Got to do better job of defending without Fallon, especially in the second half of games. They've had some breakdowns. They had some effort and energy issues against Eastern Louisiana. They want to clean up. If they tighten up those areas, this could be a really, really fun Auburn basketball team. And by really really fun Auburn basketball team, I mean a team that can be in the hunt for a top four spot in the SEC. That double by which would put them in perfect position to, you know, be in a, a, a good spot for not only the SEC tournament, but the NCAA tournament. And if everything clicks, we'll see. Um, I think they have the offense that can hang with anybody. So I'm not saying they're going to win the, the SEC title this year, but I do feel better about their chances to compete in this league because they've got the firepower that we just haven't seen. We didn't see that last season from this team. And uh, even though the defense has struggled a little bit in the second half, early in the year, I'm not going to make against a Bruce Pearl team bigger than that on defense. Time and time again, his defenses show up um, over the course of the season. They've got, a, they've got some work to do on that air, on that end of the floor, but I really like their potential there. They just got to lock it down because this offense is going to put up points and bunches.
2: Justin, on Friday night, the, a little fun, fun thing happened. Jalen Williams became the all-time winningest player in Auburn basketball history. What has he meant to this program or the, this coaching staff for Bruce Pearl over these past few years that he's been with the Tigers?
4: I look at, at Jalen Williams, and I see an incredible teammate. I see a guy that has been uh, in some really tough spots for Auburn, has had to, had to shoulder a lot of a burden. Um, it's hard to play the four in Bruce Pearl's system. Um, I think it's going to get even tougher to play the five uh, if they continue doing some of this five-out stuff moving forward. But it's a tough position to play, and, and Jalen Williams has been that kind of guy who's just stuck around and has been a, con- a contributor really since the end of his freshman season which got cut, cut short due to COVID. He has been a key piece for Auburn. And you look at him staying at Auburn when Jabari Smith comes in and takes a starting job. J.D. Johnson didn't take his starting job, at least it's not right now this year. But, like, J.D. Johnson's going to play a lot of minutes this season. And Jalen Williams could have easily gone somewhere and played 30, 35 minutes a night. He's not going to do that at Auburn, yet he's still here. And uh, it is a great honor for him to be the winningest basketball player in Auburn history because when I look at the tough times you go through COVID years, you go through having uh, to, to adapt and adjust to different roles over the course of your career, and he's stayed loyal to Auburn through that, and he continues to be a great teammate, a great player on both offense and defense, one of the most impactful players of the last several years for Auburn when he's on the floor. Um, it's really fitting, and uh, I think Jay Williams – is, is is the perfect person to have that record, and uh, look, he's gonna he's gonna get to stretch that thing out um, here this season because I think Auburn's gonna pick up a good bit of wins, and if he makes it through this season uh, healthy, he's also gonna have the most games played by any Auburn player ever, and I don't know if anybody'll ever touch that just because of COVID uh, in those years, but it's a really good legacy to leave. Um, he is not gonna be a guy that I don't think is a first round NBA draft pick or a guy who racked up the All SEC. Uh, numbers you know and accolades at Auburn but he's going to be a guy people are going to remember for a long time because of what he meant to this program
1: he's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today Justin obviously busy time of the sports calendar for Auburn I imagine it's very busy with the Auburn Observer what do you have going on right now
4: yeah we got a lot of stuff uh, with Auburn football and Auburn basketball um, in, in the heat of things right now so I am going to Brooklyn for these for these upcoming games Auburn plays Notre Dame on Thursday night and then either St. Uh, Bonaventure or Oklahoma State on Friday night. I'll be there for that coverage from that uh, those games. I won't make it in time for the New Mexico State game here at home, but we'll have plenty of coverage uh, from that uh, as well. You can check out, um, you know, the story I uh, had today previewing uh, this week for Auburn basketball. Yesterday, a breakdown of what has made Auburn's offense so much better here over the last few weeks. Some film room on Rivaldo Fairweather. That I've had a lot of fun doing uh, here podcasts of stuff. Um, this is the perfect time to subscribe to the Observer because we're getting giving you something every single day. Uh, and uh, it's football and basketball it's, it's the best time of year to subscribe. Six dollars a month, over sixty dollars a year. We email everything out to you. Just go to auburnobserver.com. Check it out, and uh, you know we'll we'll make sure your inbox stays full with a ton of Auburn football and basketball analysis.
1: Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today with us. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. I hope you continue to have safe travels across the United States, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
4: Absolutely. I'll be good.
1: That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us again here today on Sports Call. We are going to take one final time out. Back to wrap up the hour right after this. <music>
0: Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call
5: wherever you go. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday. Again, appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us. We did not have Justin on the program last week. He was in South Dakota. But uh, appreciate him uh, for uh, taking some time out of his day to join us. As you heard, he'll be up going to New York tomorrow as the Auburn basketball team gets set for two games in Brooklyn played Notre Dame on Thursday, and then I believe either Oklahoma State or St. Bonaventure on Friday, depending on the results of those two games. With Auburn basketball, fellas, while we have you know about four minutes before the end of the hour, I think the biggest negative right now and the thing that's going to be careful to watch their progression is their defense without fouling because I thought it was a big – Problem against Baylor. Now, some people, you know, included officiating into that. Fine. Pat Adams was out there. But even against Southeastern Louisiana, until there's a few fouls at the end where Southeastern Louisiana intentionally fouled and kind of evened it up, Auburn had committed before that six or seven more fouls. And Southeastern Louisiana had therefore shot seven or eight more free throws. And guys, if Southeastern Louisiana, is shooting more free throws and drawing more fouls than you. I mean, I don't know everything about the Lions, but that is not going to bode well on the heels of a game where you had Baylor shoot about 40 free throws and outshoot you and kind of win the game there. So uh, I think defending without fouling is something that I think is going to be paramount, not only against Notre Dame, but against just anybody uh, of any consequence this year for Auburn. Yeah, um, that's a big thing. and It's something that
3: over these first two games that we've seen a struggle, and it's something that they struggled with a lot last year. They're just going to have to fix that. Uh, Obviously, you want to be able to play a physical brand of basketball, and that's what Bruce Pearl likes on defense is that up in your face. I mean, they're usually – it's like mosquitoes. They're they're just all around you, and they harass you so much. But because of that, you're going to end up being physical. But you have to be smart physical, and and that's the biggest thing with that – Hopefully, it's something that will improve as the season goes on. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something that is uh, is a, it's a concern right now. Any anytime that any there's a a big discrepancy at going to the line like that, that's it's something to be concerned with.
1: Well, and I'll tell you this too, because I've watched Virginia and the ACC for years, because they are one of the premier defensive programs uh, in college basketball. They don't foul though. Like, they, like let's not have a misconception that oh, if you're going to be good defensively and bang a little bit, a lot of fouls are destined to happen. No, not necessarily because I, I Virginia feels like they commit five or six fouls a half. It doesn't even feel like the other teams ever go the double bonus against them. And I think that especially on the perimeter, yeah, you could see some fouls down low with, with great defensive teams. But I think that if your guards are fouling a lot, that's indication you're hand-checking a lot that you're not being able to guard the right way 25, 30 feet from the basket and that you're giving up too much penetration. And so I, that's something that I am curious to see works out. I know also, too, Brooks, that Bruce Pearl has continued to be uh, kind of even progressively more outspoken against the new block charge rule and how, you know, you got to be set for a certain amount of time. It can't be from a help defender It hasn't come into too too much play in the first week of the season that I've noticed, but, again, I go back to, I was watching the North Carolina broadcast, and an ACC official told them that they graded 100 charges last year. This year, 94 of those would be called blocks. So get ready for some calls that we think are going to end up should have been a charge or would have been a charge last year. They're going to get alter the blocks. That's also not going to help the fouling equation defensively.
2: Yeah, and I, I think probably you know Bruce Pearl is, is getting you know is starting to uh, see this foul the the the, the new rule uh, as a more negative. Be- and it it's a a result of uh, you know what what you said uh, you said last week and what we've been talking about is they're not a great defensive team right now. And when you see uh, teams that are trying uh, to to make up for that, they foul a little bit more. And so I think with that new that new uh, new rule that everybody is trying to get used to now. Plus, with playing a little bit more, uh, I'll say handsy basketball, where you're fouling a little bit more, um, you're starting to see those effects here a little bit more with, with Auburn piling up the fouls in, in their first two games, uh, and so it it's just it's going to be something like Tom said it's you got to fix it you got to get what what you have to do is get better defensively where you can defend without having to foul and giving the the referees an opportunity to call those fouls.
1: That'll do it for hour number one. We will have a little bit more on Auburn basketball, if not today, throughout the week. Some more of the positives, because as Ferg mentioned, too, I think the offense is actually going to be for real this year. I didn't even think they played that well against Southeastern Louisiana. They made it well into the 80s. So oh. I do think there's something to that. So we will get to that a little bit later, either in the show or in the week. But we are out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned when we come back to start hour number two. We have a couple of calls lined up here on the orthopedic clinic phone line we will get to those to start hour number two you're listening to the tuesday edition of sports call live on tiger 95.9
0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
1: Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooke Childress with you here on this Tuesday, and we're going to go ahead and start off hour number two by going to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 1 9 Tiger 9. First up in hour number two, Wardam Steve. Retire Wardam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon?
6: I am dry and enjoying the the show and welcome back.
1: Yes, sir. I appreciate it.
6: Well, uh, I'm hoping you'll feel a lot better on this come, uh, come around. Back home uh, after the you know, Bucks uh, finally won their game.
1: Yes, sir. I mean that uh, that has not been happening much recently. So that was a good well, thing, and yeah, a lot of good football this weekend. Happy well, with a lot of it.
6: You know, they say misery loves companies. Don't, don't feel too bad about the Bucks because the NFC South is abysmal.
1: It sure is. It sure is.
6: When the best winning record, in fact, it's not a winning record, is the Saints five and five. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, I don't know who's gonna win that division. I just know that no one's advancing in the playoffs. I mean, just it's it's really like last year. I think last year I just defaulted to well, at least the Bucks have Brady, and you don't want Brady to miss the postseason unless you're a fan of the Falcons or Saints. So like objectively, it's like okay, I can appreciate Brady in the postseason one more time, but I don't know what the angle is for either of these three, any of these three teams this year. I, I just it's uh, it's it's not it's not good, not good football.
6: It's seen that good. I mean, uh, I don't know what's going on in the NFL. I'm not watching again; I'm just watching replays. Uh, but it seems like uh, teams are almost intentionally uh, don't want to win games. They just want to give it to the other team. Uh, oh, you like, mean like the Bills uh,
1: last night?
6: <laughs> uh, yeah, like that one. Uh, how about the Colts and the uh, uh, and the Patriots?
1: Oh yeah, Mac Jones had a uh, had a big whoops there at the end of that one. Yeah.
6: I uh, yeah, I and I read some stats that apparently. Uh, the, the 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 total games if you were betting man on the unders you'd be millionaire because the majority of the games uh, in the NFL uh, as, of, as of right now have been going under on the totals of well, scoring guys what's going on why such low scoring?
1: Well, I, I I don't know if I have a great theory for that. I've I've never done the sports betting, but I've certainly heard in the past people uh, people kind of tell you to bet the under a lot. But but uh, I you know I I would say that you have had some poor quarterback play this year. I think that there have been a few more injuries than normal at the quarterback position. I mean, it feels like a third of the starting quarterbacks in the league are hurt right now. Uh, And even some of the bigger names, like Josh Allen's not been great this year. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has been good, but not otherworldly like he usually is. Joe Burrow had struggles early in the year. I just think that the quarterback play has not been... Uh, what what it could be, and 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 obviously when you're talking about scoring, it's going to start there.
6: Well, is it because just really something going on? Bad quarterback players, the defenses have been making the quarterbacks look bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the defenses are are good. I mean, I, I think they're about the same as they've been in years past. There's not been a significant rule change to help them in any way. I again, I just think that you talk about Burrow's calf in, in, injury. Josh Allen's turnover problem, you know, those are just bad decisions by Josh Allen. It's not all great defensive plays. And then injuries, again, injuries are not really, I mean, you face backup quarterbacks, defenses are going to have a field day. I mean, would you rather face Zach Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? You're going to pick Zach Wilson, you know, I mean, I mean period. So you're going to look like a pretty good defense when you're facing him. And uh, again, the whole NFC South has kind of had pedestrian quarterback play for the most part, and uh, I mean that that there's just a lot of quarterbacks that are either should not be starting or forced into a starting role right now. Okay, moving to
6: college football, guys. Uh, who would you say is America's
2: team? Uh, uh, well the the consensus from one part of the country is it should be Michigan. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I about threw up when I saw that one. <laughs> Are you kidding me? America's team.
6: Uh, what does that mean? Uh, apparently, in, in Michigan, it means more to cheat.
2: I'm gonna say it's it's really interesting how how much they are, are playing the victim here. And oh and yeah, he said that they overcame adversity. I said, well, that's self-inflicted, isn't it? Yeah, it. I mean, it, yeah. by all accounts, it is. It is self-inflicted. It, it is. Uh,
1: I, I cannot believe that such a huge school is trying to. Uh, play the victim like that. And look, I I, I, and I also don't think that they're aware of how the national sentiment is. Like, yeah, they've had some favorable responses by coaches in the media and that sort of thing, but I don't know if there's a whole lot of fans outside of Michigan and then maybe a few big-branded teams that actually have Michigan's back on this one.
6: Wow. If they aren't aware of it, then there's keep denial.
1: Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, they're denying and or they're in denial, and and they, they they just I don't. I, well, I mean, I don't think they get it. There you know? are people
2: at almost every college football game dressing up as Michigan coaches uh, and imitating spying on the other team like that. No, everybody's making fun of
6: it. I saw those. I saw this some, some of the games. Okay, well, moving on, guys, you know, uh, I'm not sure how this narrative came about, but I was having a little bit uh, a, a different opinion with. Brin yesterday about this, you know, because Brim's was uh, commenting, and I know Brim's not here to defend himself, but that, uh, you know, well, Arkansas just gave up. I said, no, if they gave up, it's because uh, Auburn made them give up. You know, and I'm reading a column, uh, because Phil Marshall apparently shares the same sentiments as, uh, or perspective as I do. He says that, uh, that there has been how poorly Arkansas played instead of how well Auburn played. He said the truth is that Auburn was a the reason the, all, the Razorbacks didn't look so hot, and that's that, and I'm, I'm I'm sticking with but with that perspective. Yeah, they looked like they were listeners because we made them give up. And why? I'm saying the game the, to me, to play of the game that led to the demise of the Arkansas players was Miss Keontae Scott run run back for for, for a touchdown. But guys, do you see in the other situation what what would you say was a play of the game? That that for me was the play of the game.
1: I mean, I I think that's a strong candidate for it. I I also think that uh, coming out of half was important, and and not any one player, but just the drive. Uh, Because, you know, it kind of waned there in the second quarter. It got up to 21-3, and then you got a couple late field goals. But it was still in that range to where the game could get uncomfortable if Arkansas came out motivated and if Auburn wanted to rest on the laurels, and Auburn went right back to work and immediately scored there in the third quarter so that may be the most important sequence but I think from a play perspective yeah that punt return uh so many of those get called back it feels like I have a running joke with with the guys and and that that every long punt return gets called back for a hold or block in the back now but I think that was huge and it was a tone setter and you get down 14 nothing in just a few minutes and any momentum you had from the previous week is is absolutely gone just like that
6: and Ryan, since you mentioned that lead, you know I did have some PTSD, uh, so somewhat PTSD flashbacks. Uh, I said, "I'm uh, telling my dog we watch I said, Uh oh, do you remember twenty-eight to three?
1: Well, I, yeah, I think most people, I think most people around Auburn do from that Mississippi State game a few years ago.
6: Because I was just waiting. Okay, uh, this is almost too good to, to, to hold. Uh, we're going to somehow find a way to give the game away. I mean, that's really I, unfortunately uh, if you're. A long time Auburn fan, you come to expect that, that that kind of stuff to happen, right?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that there's plenty of fan bases that that would worry uh, once you blow a lead like that once, it's going to be on the mind for a, for a long time. But yeah, no, I think that uh, again, you know, the second quarter just kind of stalemated a little bit. Auburn did get the, have a really good drive that they had to settle for a field goal at the end there, but then forced that turnover to go get three more. And that was kind of again important too, because I think that may may have set things up. Because again, I again seeing the score at twenty one to nothing, how quickly it was, and then see oh it's twenty one three, and then just twenty one one three. I think I think from the time that there was another score change, I think each team punted twice. So that I mean that's an opportunity for Arkansas to get back in it, and they didn't. Uh, and then Auburn again puts the foot on the, the pedal to start the second half and leaves no doubt. And, you know, in the second half, was Arkansas spirit broken? I could make that argument. I mean, again, I, I, they, that, that has to be a demoralizing uh, half of football that they had just played. But, uh, yeah, no, I think Auburn deserves a, a ton of credit. Uh, this Auburn team, I, I, I know Arkansas has been bad this year. If you're talking about the Auburn team that went out to, to Berkeley to play Cal versus the Auburn team now, I, I think there's a wide, wide difference in those two teams, and I think it's clear that Auburn has uh, improved in multiple facets.
6: And to not be dismissive at all of Arkansas, I was really worried about this game, guys, uh, because they three and seven record. You know, I've said before, they're lies. You know, they're, they're, I mean, you know, this, uh, you know, the, the statistics can, can can be deceptive. Okay, so when I saw three and seven records, are really horrible. Then I look, wait a minute, this. 3-17, lost by three at Alabama, right? Right. They lost uh, to LSU on a last, what, second uh, field goal to lose that game by three. They lost on the road at Ole Miss by only seven points. And that's why I said, you know, this is going to be a tough game. So this 3-7, Arkansas team, is not a typical or ordinary 3 team that you would have thought, Right.
1: Yeah, well, not prior to this game, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, as you said, the, I think they'd only had one uh, loss prior to the Auburn game that was by more than one possession. It was to Texas A&M. But, yeah, no, the, all those teams, they hung in there with Ole Miss, LSU, Alabama, like you said. Uh, so for Auburn to drub them like this, I mean, again, the, A, that's an incredible credit to Auburn for starting the first half the way they did and, again, the second half. And then I do think that – that was very demoralizing to Arkansas because they were used to playing in close games. And really, from the word go, it wasn't a close game. I mean, even at 21-3 to 3 for such a short sample size of a game, which was a quarter at that time, I mean, that that's getting whooped from from the word go. So, I, I like I said, I know it stabilized a little bit for them in the second, but that didn't mean that they started making gains. They just were – finally got a couple stops. But, yeah, no, I, I think that that was – Either way, because we had some people pick Arkansas, had some people pick Auburn. Either way, we were all thinking that'd be a single-digit ball game.
6: And I don't think you. Yeah, you weren't You were already gone. But uh, I gave people uh, Phil Steele's play pretty much play of the week. He called it his situational play of the no, week. No, I was
1: here. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Well, good luck with on that. But hope you know a lot of people didn't lose their money on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, guys, you know, I'm already reading people. Uh, Pundit saying, oh, oh, watch out, watch out, guys. You know, this is a trap game. I said, wait a minute. How can this be a trap game? I've read even comments from uh, Coach please, you know, uh, you choose to lose or win. So I'm looking here at New Mexico State's 7 3 record. Do you know they have not beaten any Power 5 teams, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be typical for a lot of group of five teams, yeah.
6: I mean, this is the outstanding teams that they've beaten out so far. Uh, by the way, they did lose to UMass, right? Uh, the Week first won. game of the season, yep. uh, they beat Western Illinois, they lost Liberty, they beat who? New Mexico, they lost to a woeful Hawaii, uh, 2017. Uh, they beat FIU, they beat Sam Houston, uh, mm-hmm. and they beat UTEP, and they beat La Tech, and the always just you know, challenging Middle Tennessee, and they beat West Kentucky. All right, so. Tell me, how can this possibly be a letdown for this team?
1: Yeah, no, people are just overdoing it because they know the Iron Bowl's the next week. And and look, if if this were a Power Five game prior to the Iron Bowl, then yes, yeah, some of that could could exist. But again, Auburn does not even have to play its B game to beat New Mexico State. And to be quite frank, they don't even have to play their B game to win win the game easily. So, uh, yeah, no, they. They're they're it's no it's it's not it's it's literally only a trap game if you believe any game before the Iron Bowl or a big game is a trap game but it's not trap game in terms of oh New Mexico State could actually you know uh, do some things to confuse Auburn no I mean the the, the talent gap is still uh, very vast
6: and my other question is this you know what is really the motivation for New Mexico State to risk their, their players in this game it's, to say to put out an all-out effort when they're going to be going to the usa of their conference championship against liberty wouldn't they want you know the possibility of not risking that much of each i know injuries can happen yeah uh, but i'm just saying i do they really care that much about this damn game
1: i would i mean i would say yes because you don't get the opportunity to play someone like auburn very often like like you don't have a stage when you're playing the teams you just mentioned. No one's going to watch New Mexico State play Sam Houston State or Middle Tennessee or, or any of those teams. But this is going to be the most watched game that they play all year long. So they're going to want to impress in whatever way they can and, and, and give it a great effort. So no, I, I think they'll absolutely care a lot. I, I think they're going to really value the opportunity to play in front of 88,000 and – and again, in front of more eyeballs on TV. So I, I, I know that for their conference-wise, it doesn't matter. They're already in, and, and this, it's not a conference game anyway. But you don't get many opportunities if you're New Mexico State to play a, t- a program like Auburn.
6: Fair enough. All right. What you said had, had merit. I am just trying to convince myself, why should <laughs> they even care, you know? Uh, in fact, I wish that athletic would just go ahead and give them a paycheck and said don't bother showing up. You know, we'll just call it a day. Uh, and then we can rest up for the Iron Bowl. All right. Well, moving on, guys, you know, my my surprise for this team is the defensive line. I did not think it would be it was going to be as good. Who is your, what is your surprise for this team?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was for that game it was the defensive line. I think the defensive line, you know, his, his – had its ups and downs. It's been pretty good in, in run stop, although the numbers don't always suggest that. I feel like it's been a little better there. Uh, they were not getting a lot of edge pressure, so Jalen McLeod delivered that for them against Arkansas. So I thought that was a lot better. But yeah, no, I I don't think that it's been at the very minimum. I don't think it's been a glaring weakness, which I was very concerned about coming into the year. I thought Auburn would be good in the back end. Linebackers needed some work, but then defensive line had a lot of questions. So I think at the very minimum. They have been better than expected. See, we got a couple other calls to get to, so one, one last thing for us here. Okay.
6: What? Uh, I mean, I listened to Justin Ferguson's comments about the basketball team. Uh, I, I, I am still uneasy about uh, when I turned it on. I didn't watch you talk. Yeah, I the last maybe four or five minutes? What are we doing? You know, and then, uh, I mean, in fact, I think we only have like a 10, 11-point lead when I turned it on and sweating out a game that should have been a, a no contest. In fact, we were favored by 24-and-a-half points. Uh, so to hear Justin saying he's feeling confident about it, I said, you know, uh, I'm just hoping we might not only make it to the NCAA tournament, but hopefully maybe we would make it at least to the Sweet 16. But am I being uh, too paranoid here?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's too early to tell. I think the good news is is that Auburn's offense, I think, is really good because, look, we can have those opinions on what that score should have been and what it felt like. Auburn still scored 86 points in a game that I felt that they didn't do a great job in. And while yes, southeastern Louisiana was down like you said low double digits a lot of the of the second half, it was never a game that I thought Auburn was in trouble. I just thought Auburn was not doing the things necessary to really put their put their foot on the throat. So you know yes they they would love for them to win by 25 instead of 15. Uh, but I I think the I think the team has already kind of known what the strengths and weaknesses are. They're gonna score. I think they're gonna shoot better than they did last year. I think Ayn Holloway is damn good. I think Janai Broom yeah, is a inc- of the week. Right. I think Broom is incredibly productive. I think some of these transfers will play a big role. And then I think struggling. I think they are going to struggle to defend without fouling. They're gonna struggle yeah, to defend. Right,
6: yeah. right. Well, yeah. The fouls are killing us. They're the killing us. And I you. Know, Bruce Pearl heard about the game, you know. In fact, he was probably taking all the officials I'm surprised, You know, they haven't done anything to it. Uh, but he called them out. He said, you know, what, what can you do when you're trying to block a shot and you call uh, for for blocking instead of charging, you know. How, 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 can, how can you defend that?
1: Well, and again, that's going to be league-wide, NCAA-wide. That's a, that's a rule change that he doesn't agree with, not necessarily how one particular game is called.
6: Okay, that's it. Thanks for letting me one uh glad to hear you back man yes sir always good to, to hear your voice so uh until tomorrow you guys have a safe afternoon and evening and um uh, looking forward to hearing other people's comments so war eagle, guys
1: war eagle steve appreciate that phone call that is retired ward am steve joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line let's grab another phone call before our next break 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 9 tiger 9 next up daryl from auburn daryl is with us daryl how are you this afternoon
7: Hey, guys. Uh, I won't go on a big tangent. Are any of you guys, guys uh, baseball card collectors?
2: I, I used to be. Yeah, I used to be. I, I haven't bought some in several years, but uh, up until I think it was 2017, I would buy the full set every single year from Tops.
7: Okay. Well, um, obviously I'm an old person. I was born in 63, and I was, became aware of sports in 69, 70 year old. But I was more interested in Richard Petty than baseball. But I remember I used to buy packs of baseball cards, and I love the smell of that baseball card because it smelled like bubble gum mm. or chewing gum. But anyway, the purpose of my call uh, on auction today is for $2.5 million as a starting bid a 1914 Babe Ruth card. Whoa. Wow and that's when he was – I'm watching this Ken Burns documentary thing, uh, so I'm getting more knowledgeable about baseball. Uh, one is I'm too cheap to pay for cable or Internet, and then I'm limited to Auburn Public Library. And I'm listening to – I watch the Ken Burns documentaries. I'm up to the 1970s through eighty. Mm-hmm. so I want to learn about uh, the steroid stallions and uh, the steroid uh, – thing and then uh, last week I was watching uh, 60s and 70s during that time period uh, and I highly recommend that's just a great passive entertainment uh, because Fred Flintstone grabs my attention but baseball I can sort of put on a rear view mirror do my taxes and all that kind of stuff uh, but anyway I wish I was a kid because I remember uh, Hank Aaron cards were real big if you've
2: got one of those you had a prize.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Those that, are, I
2: mean, big deal. I, I yeah. still want to get back into buying them if, if I ever get a chance to. I want to get back into buying the sets. Well, I, do they sell them in sets now? Is that how it works? I, I mean, you can buy just individual packets, packs of them and see who you get, but you can also buy the full set. Or I think they release them around July, June or July in the middle of the baseball season. Uh, they'll, they'll release the full set for the year that you can buy for like 50 or 60 bucks.
7: For that particular year,
2: yeah. For every, you get every player for that year.
7: Okay, so you can actually become a collector for, say, fifty bucks, just start collecting the cards. Yeah. Does it come with chewing gum? (laughs) Not (laughs) anymore. Oh man! You can
2: you can buy a pack and and say it (laughs) does.
7: Yeah. (laughs) Back in the day, I buy those packs of baseball cards, and I get it for the chewing gum. And I love the smell of cards, but I wasn't interested in baseball, so I either traded them for uh, Richard Paley uh, stuff or marbles. So I guess I was in the wrong business.
1: <laughs> had some interesting currency there.
7: Yeah, well, when you're that age, you know, I guess people trade Pokemon cards right now. I don't know yeah. what they trade. <laughs> yeah, all
1: kinds of things, yeah.
7: But, you know, this goes back to wish I coulda, shoulda. You know, I wish I had my grandmother's 59 caddy she sold for a thousand dollars in 1970 but it is what it is
2: yeah
1: i mean again a lot of a lot of stuff and again i know you brought up the babe ruth car that's a uh, an insane amount of money but uh some of that stuff gets really valuable as time goes on
7: well i listen to the radio passively just like uh not you guys, but, you know, sort of background for when I'm doing paperwork or reading a paper, and I heard that on uh, National Public Radio, and it was yeah. a little tidbit of information. Anyway, well, you guys have a great day. I know you're going to get to the break, and I pr- I want to get that little tidbit in for retired Ward M. Steve cut off the air.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we certainly appreciate the call, Daryl.
7: Okie dokie. And if I don't hear from you or talk to you, have a good holiday.
1: You too, Daryl. We certainly appreciate you listening and uh, calling, and, again, you I hope you have a great Thanksgiving as well.
7: I will. I'll have it
1: off. Bye. That is uh, Daryl from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Appreciate him calling in there. We're going to take our next timeout. We'll get to James from Montgomery on the other side of this timeout. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: know how easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn this is former auburn football player danny skutak and you are listening to the
7: abby award-winning sports call auburn
1: Welcome back to Sports Called Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. We go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free eight nine tiger 9 Next up on the program, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon?
5: I'm good. at War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that everybody has been talking about Auburn and New Mexico State that we'll play this weekend. And I think that Auburn is going to have a huge advantage of winning at home in front of a sold-out crowd in Jordan-Hare Stadium this weekend.
1: I, I certainly agree with you. I think that Auburn's definitely going to win the football game. I think that they could win it by a good, a, a good healthy margin, maybe around 30 points or more, depending on – uh, on how the first half goes and when they get to second string and that sort of thing, but uh, yeah, no, I expect Saturday to be a victory for Auburn.
5: Yes, because I'm I'm actually looking at this as a big win before uh, we play Alabama for the Iron Bowl, and I'm just looking at where will Auburn actually be put into the uh, college football. Uh, playoff, uh, you know, bowl games, and where, what bowl game do you see Auburn actually playing this year?
1: Yeah, th- that's a great question. There's still a lot of possibilities. I think they're going to fall into the pod of like six different bowl games, where the SEC and the bowl games kind of partner to pick the best team for that matchup. There's definitely some Texas Bowl thrown in there. There's definitely some Music City Bowl. What, what was it? The Duke's Mayo Bowl that was also thrown yeah, out there. Duke's Mayo Bowl <laughs> versus Clemson
2: uh, was uh, yeah. one that was just shuffled around last week. So
1: there, yeah, there's three or four bowls that Auburn could end up in.
3: Gator Bowl versus Georgia Tech. Did you say that one? I did not say no, that. No, I've bowl. seen that one.
1: Yeah, ju- just about half the about half the bowl games are, are still in play for Auburn. Yeah, because
5: I'm looking at the one in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, for uh, the Gator Bowl between uh, Auburn and Georgia Tech, because I think that's going to be a really good game as well. And it's going to be a historic game between these two uh, programs as well. And I I just probably see that game as well. If it it actually do come to the light and actually, you know, if that's what they want, that's what the Auburn fans are looking forward to, then that's what they're going to get for uh, the month of December as well.
1: It will be very important for Georgia Tech to win this weekend. Uh, They – will be favored against five and five Syracuse, but the problem is if Georgia Tech does not beat Syracuse, they will not beat Georgia. They'll drop to five and seven and then they won't automatically qualify for a bowl game. So Georgia Tech will need to win this weekend uh, to get into a bowl right. game. but uh, but yeah no again, there's a lot of interesting possibilities for Auburn, a array of, of different size programs. Uh, again, I, I think it could be on the radar for Clemson. Uh, which would be a very intriguing matchup. I mean, there, there's there's all kinds of stuff.
5: Yes, as well. And then with the allegations with Jim Harbaugh, um, I know he's going to be going uh, to his hearing sometime this week on Friday. So I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be looking at that as well and seeing what uh, allegations that they're going to do. Uh, I know he's suspended for these three games, so I know he's not going to be in attendance at any of the uh, last two games. Of Michigan State so he cannot um, I think they were saying that he cannot be on campus or anywhere around in the facility uh, during the last two games of the season
1: uh, he can be on campus he just can't be uh, in the stadium there on the sidelines uh, but but he can he can be around he can actually coach during the week and practices he just can't coach on uh, on Saturdays
5: yeah so if he can't coach on Saturday is there like any Other, you know, possibility that he could like, you know, probably be like somewhere in a secluded area until things clear up, you know, like be away from the from the stadium as well. Because I know a lot of fans inside and outside the stadium um, are very, very uh, heated on this uh, discussion as well.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know where uh where well uh where Jim would want to watch the game. I don't know that if he, if he'd like to just watch it at home or uh if he'd like to go to a sports bar and watch it or or maybe they throw him in a secluded place somewhere. I, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't know where they would uh, have him watch the game.
5: Yeah, because if they if he actually decides that he wants to uh watch it at a sports bar, I know that's going to be kind of you know, out there because I know a lot of Michigan, uh, Michigan Wolverine fans are going to be, you know, questioning him saying, you know, you know, things at him, like he's not a great coach, he's this, he's that, and, you know, that's his job. You know, he has to pay, you know, bills and stuff. You know, if, if he's a good coach for Michigan, I don't understand, but, you know, what they did was wrong. You know, I mean, mistakes happen in college football, but i probably see Michigan actually change, uh, you know, turn over a new leaf, you know, sometime real soon.
1: Yeah, he he's definitely gonna make plenty of money enough to uh, to pay the bills. Now, uh if you were watch if you were going the sports bar direction, what would be your sports bar of choice?
5: Um, I would have to say I would probably say like Buffalo Wild Wings
1: as well. That's fair. That's that's always a, a good answer. That's a good that's a go to.
5: Yeah, like a go to. That would be like my first choice. And then if that's not a good uh choice for me, I'll probably take like a uh, I'll probably fall back on like a Plan B, maybe like a Hooters or something like that as well.
1: Okay, I got you. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Yeah, because I'm I'm actually looking to
5: seeing if uh, Michigan would make a uh, a bowl game, which I'm pretty sure that they might. Um, I'm just leaning towards Michigan to see if they're going to, you know, make a bowl game. But they don't, then I don't know what the future might hold for the. Uh, Michigan
1: Wolverine. Yeah, they're they're ten and 0 so they'll be in a bowl game. They'll they'll at this point I'll pretty much guarantee they'll be in at least in the year six. I think the question is will mm-hmm. they end up being in the in the playoff four or not? And I think that will be heavily dictated by their result against Ohio State in two weeks.
5: Yes, as well because I'm going to be watching, um, you know, the I'm going to be watching the uh, college playoff uh, selection show that's going to be coming around uh, sometime uh, later on tonight, and I'm going to be seeing where they're going to place Michigan. If they don't, then I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen as well.
1: Yeah, no, they'll they'll be ranked very highly. Uh, they will be ranked somewhere in the top three there. So, again, still got to make it to the finish line though. We've got a few more weeks left.
5: Yes, that's well because I'm actually on uh the weekend I'm looking at Alabama and uh Chattanooga. So I have Chattanooga um beating Alabama here in Tuscaloosa. So I think that's gonna be uh, a big, big loss for uh Tuscalo- for the University of Alabama and um, I think that will knock them out of the playoffs as well. And then if they if they don't if they don't get knocked out of the playoffs to play Georgia, I have Georgia favorite to win and beat them again
1: as well. Yeah, if they lost to Chattanooga, that would be like one of the yeah. biggest
3: upsets in sports history. Yeah, ever yeah. ever ever
1: if I, that were to happen. They would not make the playoff, but I I, th- <laughs> I think no. they I think they'll be fine against Chattanooga. They will be in the SEC Championship game regardless what happens these last 2 weeks, so they will play Georgia again in the SEC Championship game and we'll see who gets to go to the playoff from there.
5: Yeah, so if they if Georgia advances and they go to the uh playoffs and i'll probably see like uh georgia and oregon actually playing with uh bo nix as their head as, as their quarterback but i think that won't be um a really good thing for bo nix because i know he's gonna be if if oregon and georgia actually plays he's gonna think oh this is the team that i used to play for you know when i was, when he was playing in auburn and you know, that, that will bring him a lot of flashbacks as well.
1: Yeah, and it did not go well for, for Bo Nix in Oregon when they played Georgia last year at the beginning of the year. Of course, it was the very first game for him in Oregon and Dan Lanning at Oregon, but, uh, yeah, they got whooped by, by Georgia last year. So uh, we, if that ends up happening, I mean, it very well could. Oregon, uh, I think, is in a good position if they can beat Washington. And they think they got a really good chance of the playoff then then we'll see if that ends up happening. But, again, in Oregon will have to greatly improve from last year's performance.
5: Yes, that's well. And then on a Tuesday I'm going to be watching some college football um, games as well to see who's going to be playing in Montgomery, Alabama on uh, December 23rd. So it's going to be – I think it's going to be like four uh, football games that are going to be going on. I think it's going to be uh, Eastern Michigan, uh, Akron, and um, – uh, Western Michigan to, uh, uh, to name those teams as well. So I think uh, Eastern Michigan I've already seen play in Montgomery for the Camellia Bowl, but if they do win this time around, I think they might make a, another trip out to Montgomery as well.
2: Yeah, got some good match on tonight for, uh, for you to watch tonight, James. But I was looking at the bowl projections. How would you feel about a San Jose State versus Jacksonville State in the uh, Camellia Bowl?
5: Um, that will be a really good thing because I've, I've actually seen Jacksonville State actually play in the Camellia Bowl years ago, I mean, months back, like years back. <laughs> and, um, I mean, Jacksonville State, they really played a really good game against um, against uh, Arizona, uh, not Arizona State, but um, uh, Arkansas Arkansas State, and that was a really good community bowl as well. And a lot of people wanting that game to actually come back to Montgomery. And then other people were commenting, do, the, do I want to see um, Appalachia State and uh, Georgia Southern actually play? And I said yes, because Georgia Southern, uh, they really have a great team this year as well. So I think if they win this weekend, um, I know they might make another trip out to Montgomery as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, we're getting closer and closer to figuring out who exactly will be in that bowl game.
5: Yes, as well. And then I'm going to be looking at um coming up in December, I'm going to be looking at the Army-Navy game. So I think this one is going to be a really good game as well, but I don't know if they're going to play in the same in the same stadium that they played last few years. I don't know if they're going to like make any changes to the rivalry games, as well for Army and Navy, as well.
1: Yeah, to my knowledge, uh, that shouldn't be moving. It's always played there in Philly at uh, at Lincoln Financial Field. So, I, uh, to my knowledge, there's there's nothing nothing different about it this year. But uh, yeah, that game obviously coming up here in a few weeks too. Well, James, we've got we're about out of time here. We got to take our next break. Do you have any final thoughts for us today?
5: Um, the only final thoughts I actually have for you all today is I would like to see Auburn beat. Uh, Notre Dame uh, on Thursday as well because I know that's going to be a really good game as well and I'm going to be uh, watching that one as well
1: yeah we're hoping for a good Auburn performance in that one obviously still a couple days away but but Auburn needs to get a couple quality non-conference wins
5: alright sounds good guys and I'll talk
1: to y'all tomorrow or you Eagle. Eagle, appreciate that phone call James that is James from Montgomery joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line we're going to take one final timeout out in this hour back with more after this timeout.
0: is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m.
3: If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio.
0: We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football
8: assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you're listening to Sports Call.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooke Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. Again, appreciate Justin Ferguson for the chat earlier in the first hour. Appreciate a string of callers there, James, Daryl, and Steve. If you missed any of that, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, available wherever you may get your podcast. Obviously, been talking a lot of Auburn here, uh, and of course their result against Arkansas, which was so successful. Also, want to tell you about the wins Auburn had this weekend uh, off the field, because uh, they had a couple of important commitments in the recruiting class: one in twenty twenty four, one in twenty twenty five. We'll start with two thousand and twenty four, and Auburn getting their third highest rated player and the class of 2024. Jamonte Waller, a top 100 player, edge rusher. He had been committed to Florida. Hugh Freeze kind of alluded to the fact that they were snooping around trying to get another big edge rusher uh, right after the game on Saturday. And look, Waller is another one of those guys that has a a fair amount of differing opinions. Uh, On three does not rate him as high as some of the others. He's as high As a five-star player on ESPN's site, the number 18 player in the country, he grades out in totality industry ranking because of the low on three ranking as the number 78 player, number seven edge. But a top 100 player, again, only behind Perry Thompson and Demarcus Riddick in the class for Auburn. And guys on the heels, also kind of appropriate, on the heels of the best individual effort from an edge rusher, for Auburn and Jalen McLeod on Saturday against Arkansas, Auburn gets what they hope will be the next really significant pass rusher for the Tigers.
2: Yeah, Hugh Freeze and the staff continues to add some really, uh, really top guys uh, uh, around the uh, in the recruiting classes coming up here. Uh, and with these wins, you know, I know, you know, we talked about it earlier. Uh, it's against the lower portion of the SEC: Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. But uh, I think you're starting to show recruits a little bit what you can be, uh, and, and so they're starting to build some momentum there. And, and you know, he was uh, Hugh Freeze was asked about it yesterday about the the momentum around the the program, the momentum after getting some of these wins, especially when it goes to uh, when it when it comes to uh, recruiting, and it was. Uh, you know, it, it's it's palatable. It, it you could see it. Uh, you could see Auburn starting to gain some momentum there. They're starting to uh to to grab some. I was trying to find the the quote um, that he he had. Uh, but it 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 helps winning games. We we talked about it. We talked about earlier in this. We, we talked in the off season when they were getting some good recruits. Yeah. Uh, and I think Tom, you actually made the point. Uh, back in August, it was. Um, you know you you can get these good recruits but what starts to pile it up more is winning football games and yeah. the more you win football games the more the recruits look at it and they are they can see you know the what you're trying to build and what you're trying to do and they, they say we can be a part of that and we can continue to uh, to help build it and then what's big and, and is to keep an eye on it and like uh, like uh, Justin Ferguson said a little bit earlier I can't guarantee that he'll flip or can't guarantee he will he will drop his commitment and move to Auburn but that cam Coleman situation got a lot more interesting and uh, I think somebody pointed out on Twitter uh, those sidelines uh, down at Phoenix City this week are going to be really really packed this yeah. this Friday night yeah um,
3: it, that's the thing and that, that's what now I'm excited to see is this is going on you mentioned what I said back in August about uh, winning games it, it's winning games but it's also just putting a product on the field so that you can show these kids like this is the style of play if you want to come here and play wide receiver this is what we're doing and we can put it on tape and we can show you these are the routes you're going to run this is this is what we do the wins are great that's going to show positive you know forward progress but when you can put the product on the field and say this is what we're doing and then that can be something that is very sexy to these guys that they can look at and say hey I can go be a part of that offensive system. They do a lot with their wide receivers, and I really like that and want to go be a part of it. Um, the Coleman is one to watch out for, but Auburn still, and I believe that they will flip the wide receiver. He's the 2025, the William, Ryan, Ryan Williams. Williams. Ryan Williams. Um, I still believe they're going to flip him. The reason I say that, and I mean, he's going to be 2025, and like the number one wide receiver in the country, maybe something like that. Um He's an Auburn legacy. He wanted to come to Auburn, and Harson just really never pursued him or anything. And so, you know, Auburn's going to try hard to flip him. But I keep hearing he's going to flip. You know, Col- Coleman I think is a very good real possibility. There's other guys, you know, to to watch out for. Um, and that's just it. Uh, once you put the product on the field, you can show what can happen. Then then the parts are going to start moving. Uh, a Transfer guy, we shall see. I will be very curious, and especially if Lane Kiffin decides to leave Ole Miss to take a job, but Quinshawn Judkins is a guy that's from right up the road at Pike Road, Alabama, that grew up wanting to come to Auburn and another guy that never really got recruited by Brian Harson. and now he's one of the top running backs in the country. Why not? You know, those are the things. When you put the product on the field and you can show, hey, this is what we're doing, and you can come here. And, and do even bigger things than you are at, at the school you're at or as a high schooler is like, come here and be a part of this and see, well, see what you can do here.
1: So that was Waller there in the, uh, the four-star defensive end in 2024. And then also Auburn uh, got to get a break here, but Auburn got Ryan Gaya uh, or Gay from uh, Alpharetta, Georgia, four-star tight end for 2025. Again, Auburn's class in 2024 currently ranking 16th in the on-three industry rankings in 2025. So far, they are out to a seventh-place start for 25.
3: Before we go to break, here's another big thing in the recruiting. And this, you know, from Justin Hokinson, he mentioned this on Twitter several hours ago. And an anonymous donor pledged a million dollars to Auburn's primary collective on to victory NIL, matching membership growth between now and December 20th, the first day of college football early signing period. So... There's a million dollars already right there into the NIL fund and in yeah. this day of NIL.
1: Yep, it grows. Anna promised That's the match there. and um, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's clear growth Bring, there in the yeah. collective.
3: Bring on the brink structure, baby.
1: We are out of time here for hour numbers two. Stay tuned more Sports Call after the break.
0: Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started.
1: Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoie, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday. Uh, as we're about set to do the sports call five at five, present my Southeastern Land Group. Honestly, I could go top five sneezes of mine <laughs> over the last couple of hours as I continue. Just you, to, you warned us. Uh, just I. I can't, I've ever since I left Florida this morning, I've I've been on a sneeze roll.
3: Like, so how many is it? Like a sneeze and then a long pause, and then there's yep. another sneeze. See, I'm one of those. If I typically. Uh, if I sneeze, there's usually about eight or nine that are going to be lined up right behind it.
1: Yeah. I've had to mute you before. I've oh, had to yeah. mute myself. Oh, I've though, had to leave times. the studio. Because
3: uh-huh. I know, like I said, if, I, if, if there's one, there's probably a whole bunch of them coming right behind it.
1: It just it started at the hotel room this morning, and it went on all drive long. It has continued to the station. Mom, if you're listening, help. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I just... I, I don't know. I, I I have no idea. But we're up to about 40 or 50 on the day. And guess what? There's still several hours left today. So, uh, again, I could pick out my five best sneezes. But we'll do something more constructive than that for the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by the Southeastern Land Group. We're going to look at five notable performances for Auburn football as uh, some five individual performances for the Tigers against Arkansas. So let's start off with number one. And want to start with Jalen McLeod, who was a beast. On top of his three sacks, which we told you about, four tackles for a loss, so he had another great play in the backfield. Nine total tackles, six of them solo. I mean, that is as productive as it gets for an individual effort on the defensive line there. Uh, Big day from Jalen McLeod, by far his best game. As an and a,
3: and a forced fumble, uh,
1: yes, and a forced fumble. Uh, so, I mean, by far his his best game uh, mm-hmm. as a Tiger, and uh, he has uh, certainly started to come on there. And again, I think that the the health meant something there yeah. that, that he's healthier. Now. Not
3: yet. Uh, nine tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss, one forced fumble. Yep. Goodness gracious! That's why he was SEC Player of the Week. Absolutely. I he, mean, incredible, incredible day for him. Huge
1: performance for sure. Number two. Number two, we'll go with quarterback Peyton Thorne, who uh, accounted for four touchdowns on the day 12 20 passing, 163, three touchdowns. Did have that interception, which looked a lot like the one uh, from the previous week against Vandy. And then he had 12 carries for 88 yards touchdowns. So overall, had around 250 yards of offense and four total touchdowns. Another productive outing uh, from Peyton Thorne. Uh, Had some key third-down conversions in the game. Auburn was actually very good on third-down in that game, and they converted an array of uh, different yardages, so that was good to see. Again, Tigers won in a lot of different ways against Arkansas. Number three. Number three in the sports call, 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. I'm going to give a shout-out to the second-leading tackler for Auburn, Eugene Asante, who not said as much in the recent weeks, but he's still been playing good football. Eight total tackles and had a half a sack. On the game, Asante has been the best linebacker for Auburn this year and continued to be productive against Arkansas. Number four, gonna give it to another defensive player, but this time for something he did that was extra special. Keontae Scott with that punt return uh, there, you did there, uh, yeah, uh, early in the first quarter to give the Tigers fourteen nothing lead. Again, Steve talked about it with us it's clearly. If not the most impactful play of the game, certainly one of them. But I think uh, I would also agree with Steve that it was the most impactful play there. Really put Arkansas behind the eight ball yeah. uh, before they even looked up. I mean, it's 14 nothing there. and uh, yeah. yeah. And then and – then it, 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 yeah. it, it was
3: a ball – Yeah. It was rolling.
1: Yeah, it was rolling. And, again, it was a single-digit game for about six minutes, five minutes in that game, and then it never was again. So that was a huge putt return from Keontae Scott, who, of course, Auburn missed earlier in the year but has really enjoyed having his services back the last few weeks. And last up in the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, five individual performances of note from the Tigers' win against Arkansas. Number five. Well, this could have gone either way. It could have gone Jarquest Hunter for another 100-yard rushing game. Uh, I decided to go with Rivaldo Fairweather for having – uh, another two touchdown performance Fairweather has kind of been a consistent performer. He's actually, uh, again, this is not necessarily saying a, a whole lot to be forthcoming with you, but Rivaldo Fairweather did take the lead uh, in receiving yards for the Tigers this year. He's now at three Oh five on the season. He also has the most receiving touchdowns now with five. Yep. Uh, so again, three Oh five for the leading receiver is not a lot, <laughs> uh, but, uh, he did have three catches again, two of them for touchdowns, and again, not letting the drops at Vandy. I know he had a huge play against Vandy too, but not letting right. his drops fester and immediately becoming productive again. Uh, uh,
3: Fairweather really becoming that guy that we had hoped for at the beginning of the year, big-bodied guy that listed as a quote-unquote tight end, but I think we all knew that he would fit better more as a wide receiver just with that body. And uh they obviously, people were listening and or we were just smart enough to know what the coaches knew. I don't know which one that is, but yeah he's he's a guy that they can put one on one and he can beat you one on one, they can put him in space and he can make you miss tackles uh that touchdown uh the touchdown he had against uh against arkansas guy should have made the play, but he's he has that knack of of making people miss, and once that one guy missed. That was it. It was all over. So, uh, really kind of becoming that guy that we had hoped that he was going to be.
1: Yeah. And, uh, again, Auburn, and I think Justin referred to this in the conversation we had with him and one. The guys out wide for Auburn have been disappointing, clearly. I mean, it's just not – even with this resurgence here, the last few weeks of the passing attack, I don't even know if it's resurgence. It's really emergence, really the first time all year that it has been going well in the passing attack. Even during that, it has still been the continuation of, okay, the slot guys being involved, various Johnson making a few big plays, uh, still some Jay Fair and that sort of stuff, but also Rivaldo Fairweather uh, stepping up and being consistent, being a part of the plan uh, and other tight end usage. Again, it's, it's kind of come from all over the place, but those – Outside guys are usually the type of guys that you look for for the big production. Auburn's not had truly big production in the in the wide receiver room or just receivers in general, but they've started to gain more here in recent weeks from the likes of Rivaldo Fairweather. So that's Sports Call five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group. We're gonna go ahead and take our first timeout of the five o'clock hour. Back with more Sports Call right after this.
0: call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm now back to the multi-time abby award-winning sports call
1: welcome back to sports call tiger 95.9 ryan Lavoy, brooks childress tom peavy with you here on this tuesday it's that time of year the carousel spins. Reports coming out of Southern California over the last ten minutes via On Three and via the two four seven site for UCLA that Chip Kelly's days are numbered at UCLA and that he is set to be fired after the USC game. This is becoming a which is
2: on Saturday, by the way.
1: Okay, they are they, they play they USC do... before they yep. play Cal.
2: Yeah, why the heck? I mean, I Big know. Ten, you know. <laughs> I, they don't that, make sense. That used to
1: whatever. Uh if at the very least, if they're not going to play that last, USC should be playing Notre Dame on the last week of the year. I I don't I don't think the Southern California teams know how rivalries work. Anyway. Again, so, Big Ten. Right. <laughs> so I will say this there's initial shock to this. And if you were looking at the betting markets, because I was yesterday as you guys were talking about the carousel a little bit on next coach to be fired. And there's some Tom Allen there, Indiana. Sam Pittman's definitely up there. Uh, there, There's a couple other guys of note. But you had to go way down to like 10th, 11th, 12th. And then you saw Lincoln Riley, which, again, this is year two. I know USC has not done well this year, but year two. And the name below him was Chip Kelly, insinuating that it was more likely... That they would fire Lincoln Riley at USC, then UCLA would fire Chip Kelly. Brooks, would you be so kind to again tell you tell or tell us about Chip Kelly's tenure at UCLA for those curious as to why this seems like out of left field for some?
2: Well, you know, Chip Kelly, he's this, this is a sixth year there, so he's he's had a couple years there. Let me refresh everybody. Uh, first he was 47 and or 46 and seven in his four years at Oregon.
1: That's very good.
2: Very, got to a national championship game. I believe everybody around here remembers that yep, one.
1: It was my, my favorite national title game. Two
2: yep. Rose bowls, one, one of them and one a Fiesta bowl it was 47 and 46 and seven, <coughs> 33 and three in pack 12 play. Went off, had some carousel fun in the, in the NFL with yeah. the Eagles and the 49ers. fun and strong,
1: but yeah, he was there.
2: Um, then he came back to UCLA. As I said, this is his sixth year. Uh, he is right at 500 record for both overall and conference play. He is 33 and 33 yeah. overall and 25 and 25 in conference play.
1: That's pretty hard to do because usually you've got a a, a floater non conference game or two that boosts up a little bit. I know you play nine league games out there in the Pac 12, but uh, that that's impressive to be the exact same. The moral of the story is he has been 500 at UCLA. Any way you want to split that.
2: The highest he's finished in the Pac-12 was second in the South, and that was in 2021. And they did not play in a right. bowl game that year because that holiday bowl was canceled.
1: Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so basically what we're saying is this should not be a surprise. If you're in year six and there's no clear upward trajectory, and not only that, it's not like, oh, well, we're going 9-3 and three every year, 10-2 and two every year you're basically going just above 500 cuz he's he's reta- you know he's regaining some losses from the first couple of years what would you expect them to do just just hang out at 7 and 5 every year uh, at UCLA and and then go into a new conference where they're traveling all over the place and again the the shifting will think will will change excuse me for excuse me the think uh, basically everyone will shift thinking not only in the top 12 but just outside the top 12 it will actually be i think teams will be more restless that that go 7 8 wins every year i think they'll actually be more restless starting now and next year because they know what one or two more wins will do for them it's not oh we're going from you, you just mentioned the holiday bowl that's canceled no oh, we're not going from the holiday bowl to i don't know the whatever would be the, the next best thing out, out out west, you're going from the Holiday Bowl to a playoff spot. And that's going to change thinking for a lot. And so this this is not surprising to me if this does go through. Chip Kelly has underperformed. And also that big name, you say, oh, well, what's UCLA supposed to be? Yeah, well, Chip Kelly it's supposed to be better than 500. Yeah. Uh, so period. So again, th- th- this is I know some people are already getting a little surprised by this. This, this is not surprising when you look into it. So some of the other guys, okay. You guys talked a little bit about it yesterday. I do want to put in my two cents and and restart, <laughs> reengage the conversation with Texas A and M, with Mississippi State, because those are the two jobs vacant here in the SEC. With all due respect to Boise State and San Diego State, I don't care as
2: much. Don't forget about Michigan State, and Northwestern. Uh, those those are jobs have been open. open for t-
1: for too long. Yeah, they've been open. And Boise. although I'll, I'll say this before, I said, Boise. Before oh, I'm, I'm I said Boise and San Diego State before yep. we get back
2: into the meat of it. I would not be shocked if... Or the potatoes. If, yeah. I would not be shocked if Northwestern just gives the, the head coaching job to their interim because he's done a dang good job yeah. this year for what they've had.
1: Cautionary tale, though, in some ways, uh, Mississippi State. A little different situation. but So, let's start A&M. It's the bigger job. And I heard uh, your comments yesterday. I... Look, I'm not telling you no. Like, yes, you are allowed to call Kirby Smart. He's going to hang up immediately. Sure, it you know, sure, you know, whatever. You're a And M. You have a lot of money to flaunt and and offer. But beyond that, Dan Lanning does not seem to be interested. Which I wouldn't be either, by the way. He's doing perfectly fine at Oregon. If you want to say, oh, you know, maybe he doesn't like that they're going to be in the Big Ten. It's going to be weird travel. It's not really where he wants to end up. Like, okay, sure. uh, You can buy that, I guess. But Texas A&M, for all the money it has, again, I want to remind people of how it has not done a lot as a program on the actual field. Like, it just hasn't. Um And and so what, I could talk about this for Lanning or Kiffin, because Kiffin is a name that's going to be floated out there, and I think that's a valid name. But you say, well, why would Kiffin take the A and M job but not take the Auburn job last year? Well, money. I said that's great. Uh, you know, he's he, you can make more money at A and M objectively than just about anywhere in the world because A and M just funnels the oil money right in. But as a program. Prove to me A&M is a more successful program than Auburn. It's really not. When you look at the scope of history, as I'm going through it right now, to double-check everything, all-time record, Auburn has the 18th best winning percentage, A&M 23rd. A&M has three national championships that were eons ago. Auburn has two. Conference titles, A&M's got Auburn there, 18 and 12. Bowl games, though, Auburn's been to more, 46 to 42. They have more wins all time. They're 13th all time. AM's 16th. Bowl record, Auburn's above five hundred thirtieth 30th all time. AM's 54th all time. Consensus All Americans is about even at 33 31. Three highs and winners to AM's two. Uh, NFL draft picks, 302 to 295. Even that's close. Weeks in AP poll, which is a little more suggestive of, of I guess, the last 70 or 80 years versus the, you know, the. World War uh, One era, World War II. 602 weeks in the AP poll for Auburn, 489 for Texas A&M, and weeks at number one, Auburn 9, A&M 6. There's some back and forth there. I don't need to get... We don't have to get in the business of arguing it, who you prefer a little bit more than the other, but it's pretty damn even. And so the only reason you're doing that is because of money, because there's nothing historically, and especially not anything in the last 25 years that says, oh, yeah, A&M, you're going to win there. They found every way not to win there. And I think the existing problem that, you know, underlies why it's not worked out for them and and that sort of thing is that ultimately (laughs) they're still, whatever money they have or want to pay, it still doesn't put them first in that state. Uh, and depending on how north in the state you get, there's going to be just as many people trying to leak out and go to Oklahoma yeah. than there are going to be going to A&M. And look, they've recruited great. Recruiting's really still not the issue for them. They've been, they've been really good there. But they have just not figured out how to surpass either of their former Big 12 cohorts who are now going to join them in the SEC. And this league is tougher than the Big 12. And that's also some of it, too, for all the fun players they've had. They've had plenty of fun players the last 12 or so years they've been in the league that have not won anything of consequence. They have not won the West. Missouri has won the East twice. Missouri is not going to win the East this year. Missouri is better than A&M this year. After all the money AM's paid for their players and for that coach to now get lost, Missouri is better. And they enter the league at the same time. And they've been better in the SEC. So, again, you can say, oh, it's just about money. Well, yeah. That's the only reason it would be. Because there's nothing on the field that suggests you can win more there. Uh, and so, look, I think that Kiffin is an interesting conversation. Because I, I think that as time goes on, he will continue to learn that there's just a certain ceiling in old Miss. But if you're trying to make an argument, yeah, you can do more there. Can you? You can You can pay more for the same thing, but you've won nothing of consequence at Texas A&M in the last 20 or th- however many years to say, you know what, that's objectively a better job. It is literally a job with more money involved, which means more pressure, and it gets you no more results. And that's been A&M for the last two plus, three plus decades. I,
3: You know, I would be curious to know kind of the behind the scenes stuff at Texas A&M that those closed door things that you just don't hear about, you know, you can just look at the product on the field and the wins and losses and you look at, okay, they had what, two years ago, the best recruiting class anybody has ever seen. Now you did have a lot of those guys leave. You had a lot of legal trouble with some of them and, and different things like that. So that kind of thinned that out a little bit, but, um, do they run in does a&m run into that situation where they've got too many people trying to pull strings over there and they can't seem to all get on the same page when when you have boosters like they have at a&m that are giving that much money you have to wonder if maybe there's some internal strife there with with people trying to pull strings because hey i gave a whole i gave you all this money and i need to have a little bit of say so and then the other person's like well, I gave just as much, so I need to have some personal – you know, you have to wonder about that. It, does that cause that internal strife that causes that program not to get on the same page? I don't know that that's the case. It may just be the fact that Jimbo Fisher is not a good coach. <laughs> that's a very good possibility. Um, and so I, I will be curious to see if A&M can get somebody in there that can turn that around, and we'll see if, it, if it's something that just keeps on going – then you have to start wondering uh, what's happening inside the program. And then it's not just Jimbo. Uh, I tend to lean towards it may just be Jimbo. I know before that they still, they had some, they, it was still Texas A&M. They had some great guys, uh, you know, you had Manziel and you had all these guys come through there and all this. They weren't recruiting to the level that Jimbo did. So it, it's weird that they have not had the success with even with, the big-time recruiting classes. So I don't know. I I don't know what the problem is there. You would think that they would be better with the amount of talent they bring in. But maybe it's Jimbo. Like I always keep saying, prove it to me, Jimbo, and he still hasn't proven anything to me. Maybe he's the problem. Maybe if they get another guy in there that can actually work with the stuff that they have, they can be
1: successful. But as you point out, though, and we're not going to fully know this, if there is, and we know this from a couple years past here at Auburn, if there is disconnect with all that money and I bet you there is, to be honest with you, when there's that much money out there and that much money on the line, I bet you there is. Cause if oh, you, you put that money out there, you want your way. Right. And if you, and if anyone's not aligned, it's going to start to get, well, see what you did with my millions, mm-hmm. how much you messed that one up. I mean, I mean, I bet you, I bet you there is some of that. Uh, and so that it gets difficult when you're not aligned right. at the top. Um, well, so let me ask you guys, because I have my thought on who I'd like to, who I would hire if I was A M And and b- within reason. Because if I'm a And M, I'm like, oh, Urban Meyer can come back, like, <laughs> right. like you know, whatever. But, or we,
3: or we can go and pull Kirby Smart from Georgia. Right. Like, we'll pay him a, we'll just right. pay him more money than he's ever seen in his life. There's no way in the world anybody could even begin right. to match what we're going to pay him.
1: But but within reason, shooting from,
3: shooting from the stars like beyond shooting, right. yeah.
1: Within reason. Who would you slash? Who will get hired there? Within reason,
3: you know. Well, I mean, Lanning. Lanning seems like the guy that you would think, but he seems like he has no interest in leaving Oregon. Make the
1: argument why he would and, take that. If you're, Daniel
3: no, I'm, well, no, I well, no, okay, you're not thing. going to. Okay. no, I can't. No, he has everything and more that he could possibly need at Oregon. I agree, and he's got so much in front of him to try to prove. If that's that's why when I look at you know, I again, I keep, I hate, I'm. Man, I keep bringing up Kirby Smart. I'm not saying Kirby Smart's going to Texas A&M. I'm not saying that. Had this discussion with a buddy of mine yesterday, and he just flipped out and said it was the stupidest thing he's ever heard. I'm like, I'm not telling you he's going to A&M. However, Kirby's already proven what he can prove at Georgia. I mean, I don't know how much more you have to prove at Georgia. You've already won back-to-back national championships. You may very well win three in a row right here.
1: What else do you have left to prove? He wants to pass Saban.
2: Sure. Okay. Well and that's goal if you talk to Kirby, everybody still doubts them. Oh, yeah, of course. And
1: he's all their
3: players.
2: Self
1: motivates, yeah.
3: Sure, yeah. Everybody thinks that we're just terrible and we just keep proving the doubters wrong. Like, okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um Lanning, Dan Lanning still has stuff to prove at Oregon. And so and he has he has the Phil Knight money out there. He's got the he's in he's in the Nike castle out there. They they've got the most popular uniform combinations, everybody, all the kids love it. They they've got all the they've got everything that they need. They've got one of the best facilities in the entire country. They have one of the best atmospheres at home in the entire country. They have a notable name brand about them that is one of the best in the country. He has everything that he could possibly, possibly have at Oregon, and he still has so much in front of him to prove. That's why Dan Lanning is not leaving Oregon. He is not going anywhere. That's not gonna happen. So you erase him. Urban Meyer is I think that's just dumb because I I mean he's now been away from this for so long. I just I I think that would be bad. Uh you know, shooting for the stars something just utterly stupid like Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, that's just not even feasible dabo sweeney even though he's even though he's been down these this last little bit if you think about it one of the things that he's talked about at clemson now he has he has downplayed i guess the whole nil thing and he's you know i don't like the nil and we're doing what we do at clemson blah 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 You put Dabo Sweeney in a situation at Texas A&M where where it's almost like unlimited money coming in, and you've already seen how he can recruit at a place like Clemson that does not have that type of NIL support and does not have those type of facilities. I could see that working out pretty well for them, I, I think. I mean, it's a guy that's a proven coach, He's won national, te- national championships at Clemson. He has had them as a com- big-time competitor up until just those last couple of years. Is he ready to jump out of the – oh, and and to, you know, there's the issues with Clemson, and are they still going to be in the ACC? I was going to say, you
1: got to give me a reason why he'd take it, though. Right, Well, and right. that's
3: the thing. I mean, what, are, what what's going to happen with that conference?
1: You know, it, is
3: Clemson going to really co- try to come into the SEC in some form or fashion? Or are they going to another conference? You know, what's going on there with the ACC? There's another reason to jump from a very unstable situation conference-wise into one of the most stable conferences that you could possibly imagine. Texas A&M is going to pay him more money than he's making at Clemson. You know that. He's, what, $11 million
1: (coughs) right now.
3: Texas A&M is going to pay a lot more than that. You see, the thing is – I I
1: guarantee you. There is a cap at some point. I'm going to say
2: that the the thing is, though, is – Yes, Texas A&M is it can pay him a lot more. But after the Jimbo debacle, do they want to do make they have them that the, appetite. do they want yeah. to make them the highest paid coach again?
3: Well, and and <laughs> like was I that, that, no, that and here. I and I get yeah. that. I get that. But here's the thing. It's like, all right. So, yes, you did that with Jimbo. Are sure. you going to try to shoot for the stars again? Or are you just going to go, we shot for the stars and we hit the home run and then the ball came flying right back into the ballpark and hit us. And it's like, okay, so much for that home run hire. Now we're going to go and we're going to find the young up-and-coming guy that is doing some great things and we're going to bring him in and let him. It may not be the home run hire, but it might be the best hire because this is what we need to do. I think A&M is going to try to go out and find the big-name dude to fill that role. They're not going to go to SMU. We're going to
1: hit the better home run. This
3: right. Season. We're going to try to hit a home run where the ball's not going to get thrown back into the park at us. We're going to hit a home run that is actually a home run. and stays out of the park, and and boom. I think you do that with a guy like Dabo Sweeney, um, and I I just I get this feeling that you know it's kind of things are kind of not going so great there at Clemson right now. He's he's had just that whopping success, but things are kind of down. They don't have that NIL support that he can have at Texas a and I think that's a guy that, you know, I, I could see them at least trying to go and get him, potentially. Um, and they will pay him more than Clinton. I guarantee you they'd be able to offer him more than Clinton. Again,
1: sure. But what's the appetite when you oh, just well, – Because someone someone's going to – and then we get the Brooks here. Someone in that – on the money-making part of it is going to say – we just hired a national champion from the a c c it went went well for us, yeah. didn't it
3: right well, so then in so then, in that case that if you don't have the appetite for something like that, then you go to somewhere well the head coach James Madison, has him undefeated right now, whoever that is, you know that guy do you go to try to get chadwell um do you do you go in state and bring Rhett Lashley in? From SMU, that's got them leading in the a- AAC and has him what eight and one, I think. You know, Rhett Lashley is kind of the one one of the young up and coming guys. Now I'll say this: if Arkansas if Arkansas does end up getting getting rid of uh, their guy, I think Rhett Lashley is like the prime candidate to go take over Arkansas. But if he's a guy that is that young up and coming guy that you can get for a heck of a lot cheaper than you did Jimbo Fisher then okay, then it would be somebody like that. You're not going to be shooting for the stars. You're going to be shooting for the young up-and-coming guy that you can get in for a lot cheaper, and you think that he's probably going to be the guy that can lead you to the promised land instead of the big money guy that failed.
2: If I am the, if I was the AD, my call, and I said it yesterday on the show, would be to Washington's Kalen DeBoer. I like what he's done at Washington. Uh, I think he's a he's a guy that can can get you back on track and get you in contention. My biggest question, as I said it yesterday, is you only had one. Good years. He was only at Fresno State for two years. He he had a uh, Sioux Falls or whatever it was in the NAIA. He was really good at the lower level. Got hired at Fresno State. Only had one big year, well, a nine win year at uh, Fresno State in the two years he was there. Um, but then he's had two. He's had an eleven win year and a ten win year so far at, at Washington. My biggest question would be, can you do it without a Michael Penix? Uh, that that would be my biggest yeah. question. But that that's who I would call would be Kalen DeBoer. Uh, I think that he's a, he's a guy that can get you back on track. Who do I think is going to get hired there? Um, Ryan, you mentioned a name uh, off the air earlier to me, uh, but a guy that uh, is uh, one in the FCS level and has had a pretty solid program um, in the in the FBS at his Big Twelve school, Chris Kleiman, I think can be a guy that can come in, right the ship. Would not he? Would not be a guy that would command a lot of money to to come there either. Is it, I, I think he would see leaving the Big Twelve. Uh, leaving Kansas State, going to Texas A&M as a as a slight step up there, and uh, I think that he could do he he could be a guy that you you look at, and he already recruits that area too. He, he's at Kansas State and already recruits that area.
1: All right, let's go to our orthopedic clinic phone line again three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine. Next up on the show, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you today?
8: Doing good, and you guys doing well. You know, uh, this Jimbo Fisher situation, I mean, you know, getting kicked out and got all this cheese coming in for the next seven or eight <laughs> years, what is about $10 million a year for the next eight years or seven years or something like that?
1: Yeah, but it's 70, $74 million total over the next uh, seven years, and he's got some of it due right now.
8: Oh, man, that's a lot of money. He put in six years, right? Yes. Now, during this time, uh, he's pretty much been about, what, eighty five, million, mostly million uh, mostly yes. every year, pretty much? Yes. And this year, uh, well, what was the record last year? I can't remember what it was last. Year, well, la- I
1: think was- last year was awful. Uh, last year okay. I, they went uh, five and seven. <laughs> but yeah, before, okay. it, the, the quick rundowns, nine and four, eight and five, nine and one in 2020, that uh, COVID year. Eight and four, five and seven, and then was six and four this year.
5: Okay,
8: so that's pretty much about what Kevin Sullivan was doing. Yeah, for Kevin Sumlin did have a, a ten game, or eleven game season one year, didn't it?
1: Yeah, with Manziel, I, it was at least nine. It might have been ten. Yeah,
8: and, and got that and all that. You know, uh, for some schools at eight and five or a nine and four would be lovely, but uh, you know Texas A and M in the Southeast Conference, and they got that rich tradition. You know, when he was in the Southwest Conference or whatnot, and and they got all that money down there, and they want to go to Hallelujah Land like Alabama's going, LSU, Georgia, you know, the bell cows of the Southeast Conference right now. They want to go, too, and I, I just think, you know, maybe it's just so much pressure on everybody. You know, if, if Bama ain't there playing for it, then Georgia's doing it. And If Georgia ain't there doing it, then LSU's there. But it just seems like those three teams just keep rotating back and forth within the, within the Southeast Conference, producing your uh, national titles, and then every once in a while, Florida will throw one on the table. You know, and I think that just uh, – got everybody want the same thing you know but uh you know when you pay that kind of money out I then mean, you can't get what you want and he just giving you uh, average or uh, mediocre uh type seasons or a little bit better than average at times i mean you know uh, people want more than that and uh i guess now they got to go look for somebody that can do that i mean did they have is it a pet Dodd kind of hire out there anywhere is anybody like that that that, uh, you know, maybe played at a school like Georgia and went through the Southern Conference and, and knew as a player what it took to compete and then messed around and, and got with Bear Bryant or somebody, that kind of coach, and, and stayed there nine years or ten years and, and got maybe three uh, national championship rings on his fingers and everything and a slew of conference championship rings on his fingers before he left out to be a head coach at uh, East Carolina and Wyoming or whatnot and finally got the call to come to the Southern Conference and was ready to do what needs to be done because he already had the training as a player, then messed around and got even, oh, God, the training as an assistant coach under the best that it was ever been and then go off somewhere at a little school that don't even be on TV, never heard of nowhere, and then when it's time to bring that coach in, then you got a man that's ready to go. I mean, it, does a coach like that even exist nowadays?
1: What do you guys think? Well, uh, I mean, AM certainly hope it does. Uh, and you know, Of course, you called in as we were having the debate. I mean, they're, they've they got the money to go big as name of, as you want to at least ask. I mean, it, I, I guess when you have that kind of money, you, you make people tell you no. However, I just wonder, again, with, with all that money they owe Jimbo, again, they can come up with it and they can come up with more. Do they have the appetite to then throw a the necessary contract to land someone else huge, or do they need to go a little bit more practical uh, for this one? I know that's not A&M's way. I know that's not most teams in Texas' way to go practical, but I think they should probably look for a more humble hire this time because, again, they've been burned to the tune of you know giving him $100 million and and 70-something of it will come here with, to not coach in the next seven years. So I – I would go a little bit more uh, a little bit more common sense school, but who knows with A and M.
8: But when you say that a little bit more practical practical, a little bit more common sense higher, then uh, we gotta be referring to is this does that mean one of Curry Smart assistants, or does that mean one of Nick Saban assistants or or Ohio State or Michigan or 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 the Bell Cows that continue to go to the playoffs on a regular basis, does it mean somebody is either currently on the staff or have been on the staff Some up and coming assistant that uh, got that ring on his finger that's been around all that. Uh, So that's got to be what you're saying. uh, If that's the direction um, they're hoping they could go in because all the money has been spent. And I mean, what kind of message is being sent that if you're going to pay this guy $75 to $80 million to get out of the way, and then if you go after another kind of hire like a Dabo Sweeney, you're going to have to come up with the same kind of money. A better, probably, I would say $100 million. For him to even leave Clemson, you're going to have to do. So, I mean, especially as young as Dabo is, Dabo is my age. So uh, you could potentially say Dabo could stay there uh, another 15 years coaching if the health holds up. So then you're going to have to come off some serious money. You could be talking $125 million.
1: Yeah, well, and again, so the, the name I have in mind uh, is Mike Elko. He is the, the head coach of Duke right now. He was the defensive coordinator for four years for A&M uh, once Jimbo okay. got there. Uh, right. and, and I think that it would not take a King's ransom to get him. But I also think what oh, he's no, it sure, and I also think what he's done at Duke is commendable because David Cutcliffe had run his course there at, at Duke and that was not in a good situation. He immediately got the portal working. Uh, and he's now fifteen and eight in two years at Duke, and I know that doesn't sound like some awesome thing, but we all know how how difficult it is at Duke. And they they went and beat Clemson in Week One of the year when healthy. Riley Leonard's not been healthy for the majority of the year, so I would argue for them the the practical hire for them would be would be Mike Elko. But again, we'll 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 see what they come up with.
3: And I, I, I and I'm gonna, I'm going to throw one out there because if you. If you want to go the route, like you were talking about, of, of a coordinator that has been there, done that, and has worked under that, Glenn Schumann, who's the, the co-defensive coordinator at Georgia, he has worked under Nick Saban. He was Kirby Smart's very first hire when Kirby went to Georgia. He's been the linebacker's coach there. He has coached at Alabama under Saban. He's coached at Georgia under Kirby Smart. He's won six national titles as an assistant wow. coach. If you want to look at it, an assistant, Glenn Schumann could be the type of guy that – somebody is going to look at to try to take over the head job but he has no head coaching experience and that's uh, you know a&m are you willing to take that chance to bring in a guy that has not had the head coaching experience and has only been a defensive coach
8: well that would be a big gamble uh you know he got the rings on his finger that's certainly uh shining and uh, certainly uh stands up and speaks for itself but like and he's said, only thir- and he's
3: only 33 so he's he's young yeah. in the world
8: but like you said, not having any head coaching experience on the way on the Western college level, then uh, that might be too big of a gamble because, you know, when if you get a job that big at, you said 33 years old? Yeah, yes. 33. You get a job that big at 33 years old and mess around and flop and fail, then, uh, I mean, his career as a head coach at the big school is pretty much shot. I mean, don't get me wrong, he might get somewhere in the middle of the road or some, uh, you know, another opportunity like that, but, I mean, you know, you, you can't afford to mess up something that big. Yeah. I mean that young, so he might need to go somewhere else. But I mean A and M wanna go to Hallelujah Land where he wanna go. Right. I so got to figure
3: out. I, I could see I can see a guy like Schumann getting hired more at Mississippi yeah. State to, to try yeah, to yeah, get that go. program up to where they need to be. I think A and M is going to try to shoot higher than a, a very good defensive coordinator. But let's hey. also let but let's also remember this. Georgia hired a defensive coordinator to take over and he has now won them back to back national championships and possibly a third and turned into one of the best coaches in the entire country. And he was hired as Al from Alabama, from as their defensive coordinator. So well, hey, sometimes it hey, works. Sometimes it doesn't.
8: Well, look at the, he played at Georgia as a, as a, as a, player, you know, he already had the ties as far as Georgia goes. And then he didn't uh, train on of the best of, of the 21st century. Cause Brian was the best in the 20th. So, uh, I mean, you know, that right there is a no-brainer. I mean, you're going to spend that many years on it, the best it is in the 21st century. Then, I mean, you know, hey, and then you think about Georgia with the rich history and tradition and, and I mean, Georgia sells itself. Those kind of schools, I mean, you know, it ain't a whole lot that you got to do to get somebody to come to a school like that because they're coming anyway. You know, you just got to figure out what you really want and what you don't want right. when you start with those kind of programs. But I tell you, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how this thing unfolds. Maybe the Duke guy get the job, which would be good, because I mean, early in the season we we talked about Duke and how we was impressed and what was going on, what we saw on the field, everything. So I mean, that may be the best route to go. You can get him a whole lot cheaper, and he is up and coming, and probably could get messed around and get in a situation. Uh, like I said, he ain't nowadays. You ain't got well, starting next year, you won't have to win the conference. Word about getting in the playoffs because you got a twelve team. Uh, playoff and I was telling my brother a few minutes ago, uh, we were having a conversation and everything. I said nowadays, you know, I, you could pro- next year you could probably lose three games and still make a twelve team playoff. And in some cases, there's gonna be some schools might have even four losses, depending on your schedule and who you are, you might still mess around and get into a twelve team playoff.
1: Uh four four would feel far fetched but 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 three three could happen three three absolutely could happen in a conference like absolutely. the SEC. Anthony, yeah. we got another phone call to get to right, before the end man. of the show. I'll be to later. Yes, All right, sir. Thanks. Appreciate the phone call, Anthony. That is Anthony calling from Auburn. They are on the orthopedic clinic phone line. We have time for one more call, and then we'll have to wrap up the show today. Trent from Auburn is joining us. Trent, how are you this afternoon? Pretty good. I was just
7: gonna say I think it's Elko. I mean, Elko
8: to me seems like he's got the uh, inside track. He's been there before. He's done a great job at Duke. He's a great head coach, and you know I think he knows the I think he knows all the inside people at a and I just think I got that feeling he's kind of the inside track, and I think a deal's already been done. It's just Texas A&M hasn't announced it yet.
1: Interesting. Yeah, no, I, again, I, I certainly agree that that's the choice. I would find it hard to believe, you know, I, I personally think that when you do have money like that, you do investigate all outcomes. But as we've been talking about this, this hour, I find it hard to believe that everyone is going to be aligned and willing to go ahead and throw another massive, as big as the, the sport is contract at, at somebody else, because it, it, everyone eventually does have a price and that works for getting people to leave and and go to their school but it also works for those boosters writing the checks and everyone has a certain cap and certain amount that they're going to run out of comfort with and so i think with elko as you said they're they're not going to have to throw that huge contract at him i do believe that he is destined to work out as a head coach maybe not to you know the, these absurd levels that we've seen with Smart at George or someone like that, but I think he would be a very competent coach. And again, I know that Duke job from following the ACC well. That 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 is to, to turn that around that quickly and and to look very competent at Duke, I think bodes well. And as you said, he certainly has the connections at at A and M. Trent, you still there? I believe he's uh, I believe he's dropped the call now. But yeah, appreciate the phone call there, Trent. That is Trent from Auburn uh, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line uh but yeah no i think that uh i think again elko is my personal choice i like what you said brooks too uh about climbing at kansas state i have no idea if he's interested in in a big job or if he's content at kansas state i just find it funny he's not been mentioned people like to throw out and I, i really can't shouldn't go here with one minute left in the show two minutes left in the show uh but with Kleiman versus Dion, there's this whole factor about name recognition. When it's they're the exact same age.
2: Yeah, uh, y- you know, y- you look at both of them, and it's 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 really, uh, it, you know, it's it would really, like you said, really be about name recognition. It would really be about uh, it. It would really be about you know, if you went after Dion, it would just getting that name there. It it's. You know he did it at at a at, uh, Kansas State, at Jackson State, uh, but then this year it's it's calling it kind of the wheels kind of fell off the wagon really really quickly uh, this year. And you know it's year one had a lot of turnover. We'll see what he can do at uh, the next couple of years. But I think if you're uh, one of these big programs that may be interested in Dion in the future, you got to give it a year or two and see if he can right yeah. the ship there.
3: I I don't see Dion. I, I don't see anybody hiring Dion right now. Um, just because it has, you know, turned into such a disaster there, and there's also all the other stuff that was going on. I think people are going to be on a little bit more of a wait-and-see with Dion, and see if he can have that success and then try to poach him. But I, I don't see them going after Dion, not after just the one year at Colorado. All
1: right. We are out of time. We don't even have time for the music. Brooks in thirty seconds. Quick TV guide.
2: Two movie picks for you: Toy Story at six o'clock on Freeform. Your family pick of the evening. and the Hunger Games at six o three on Sci Fi. You got some basketball on tonight and some football on tonight. Uh, the big one, the Champions Classic, is on tonight. The late game is Kansas versus Kentucky. The early game, number nine Duke versus number eighteen Michigan State. One of those teams is going to come out of this game at one and two on the air, and the sky will be falling in whatever uh, town they're from.
1: That should also tell you, by the way, guys why I think they should hire Elko if I'm actively trying to get a Duke football coach out of there because I'm actually threatened. So again, that's that's good Elko news if I feel that way. But uh, And that's the TV guy yep. presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. We are out of time for this Tuesday. The great news is tomorrow you were not able to get a full phone call in or not able to get full thoughts in. We never even touched Mississippi State because that's how fun it is to talk AM there's going to be a, a brand-new sports call tomorrow. We will get to more coaching carousel happenings tomorrow. Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today. We will see you again tomorrow. I will
3: be here tomorrow.
1: Brooks Childress, thank you for being here today. Yep. We will see you again tomorrow with the High School Coach Show live from our Tiger Communications studio. That's right. That will do it for the show today. Again, we appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us earlier in the program. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in. And called in for Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy. My name is Ryan LeBoy. Have a great Tuesday night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.